What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to Tour Life. This week, massive, massive episode. We got Yuli. I am Brody Smith, and we cannot wait to get started. First thing, Yuli, we got updated equipment. We did. No crackle. No, no crackle, crackle. No AirPods for me. I saw. I saw the tweets. I saw the YouTube comments. That was, I think, the one hindrance that we had was just our audio was complete cheeks. And I think moving forward, we're going to have that solved. Uh, I got this bad boy and two others as well. So when we go back on tour, we'll have three really good mics. Got the setup. Now, whether or not my computer can handle that, that is, that is the question. But if it can't, I'll just go buy a new one right away. Um, but I'm excited, man. I'm excited that we finally got the audio figured out. It only took, I don't know, what, six, seven, eight episodes? <laughs> It took a lot. I mean, I had to literally buy a brand new computer. I just bought a brand new computer and I still had trouble setting it up, but we got it done. Thanks yeah. to the help from Silas. That was that was huge. Hey, maybe in the future this show gets big enough to where we just have like a studio and we just fly in and do the podcast every week and everything is already set up and it's incredible and uh, everyone at home will just absolutely love it. But as of right now, this is what we got. But we appreciate everyone from the crackle and on staying with us. Uh, let's just jump into it real quick because obviously we have a massive, massive guest coming on tonight. So I do want to get a few things, you know, some um, housekeeping, if you will, through. And then we can kind of talk a little bit about our guests before we bring them on. Channel members. We got some more channel members here, Yuli. Uh, Silas will throw them up here. Shout out to Thor Liam. Jacob Warden, Blake Malone, Slang and Dis, Harold Andy, Robert Hart, Michael Ferguson, and Stephen McLean. Also, I don't know if you ever pull up the live chat when we go, Yuli. We have a Yuli emoji now. I I'm gonna haven't seen it. I'm going to throw it in the chat right now, uh, potentially. Oh, I don't know if I even can do that. Oh, yeah. It's already in there. It's already pinned at the top. The Yuli emoji is already pinned at the top, and we throw we threw a couple other emojis in there. So now, if you are a channel member, you have the ability of throwing some emojis on there. I'm actually gonna switch. Let me see here. If I switch over, I should be able to throw some emojis in there to show you what they look like. If it's not to your standard, Yuli, you're just gonna have to send me something better. Oh, there we go. We got Blake and we... Oh, we got other people throwing it in there for me. Perfect. We got the Yuli emoji there um, and a couple other emojis as well. If you're not sure what a channel membership means, basically, you get access to a lot of different things on um, live streams that we do over here on Foundation Podcast. And it also kind of... You get one highlighted message uh, a month. I don't really know what that even means. But essentially, we kind of can see your chats a little bit. You get emojis, your name is highlighted, and also, I think, potentially, depending on how tonight goes, we might do, by we, it's probably me, because I did not ask Yuli if you want to do this, but we, I might do just like a live Q&A just with the channel members. So essentially, what we can do is have smaller live streams with just a handful of people, which are the channel members. And it's kind of cool. If it's something that you're interested in, you can click the join now button. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify and you want to get involved and help support the show, come over onto YouTube Foundation Podcast. Check it out. Um, all right. Moving forward, 
Our boy always has the details. Steve's nerd on Twitter, you already know. Let's throw it up there. How did we do last week? I want to first say, oh, shout out to Michael Taylor. He already just became a member. So we already have a new one for next week. Heck yeah. Um, Yuli, I just want to say real quick. Okay. (laughs) I know what's coming. I know what's coming. What is Mason Ford doing? Oh, it's coming. I know it's coming. What is Mason Ford doing? Is that what you think I was going to say? Because, no. my goodness. Because, also, the fact that you picked Matty O, and then you're like, nah, 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 nah. I don't feel like Matty O is going to do anything. And then you switched your pick to Joel Freeman, I believe. Yeah. Matty O also did not play. Right. I, I don't know what's happening here. When when are people? I thought we had to say like we weren't playing like the week before. I mean, some of these people had tea times. For some sure, some people had tea times. No, it's actually um, funny because I was on the list. They gave me a tea time, and I had already texted them you the last week. No, I no, I had texted them like a week before, <laughs> being like, "Hey, I'm not coming." They put me on a tea time, and then I texted them again, and was like, "Still not gonna be there." So, okay, so maybe there was some weird confusion this week. All I gotta say is like. I'm feeling myself right now, okay? I got uh, Calvin Heinberg. I picked him to win. He won. I even said at the very beginning, I was like, this course is going to suit his game very, very well. He That's won what I s- thought you were going to say, is just be oh. like, oh, I bet I picked back-to-back winners, but... It's not, I, mean, that's a, I appreciate that's it. not yeah that's not really surprising let's be honest the people listening here they know they know i know disc golf uh as the as the uh, young kids say i know ball and i guess you can say i know disc I, i'm just more mad that mason ford i think would have done really well at this tournament and he didn't play so i could have had i think the first yeah the first time we picked all three in the top 10 but you also did incredibly well this week you had number two both number two guys with AB did, yeah. and Joel Freeman. Yeah, but number two doesn't get you extra points. No. Can you I, hear this dinging going on? No, I hear nothing. Oh. Do you have like perfect. do you have like a do you have like a Domino's ringtone going on? Did you order some Domino's? Tonight? I have texts coming in and I can hear it, but you can't. That's no. that's all I need to know. Perfect. I can't yeah, you're good. I can't hear anything. Um yeah, I don't again the point system, maybe people listening can tweet us or leave some comments on YouTube. Let us know the point system. I don't think second place should get the same as eighth. I mean, now that I got back to or two second places, I kind of like that theory, but it could hurt me in the long run. I feel like I'm doing pretty good, but then we're, all we're of a sudden, doing, we're kind of both then, doing nasty. But we're then you go winner, winner, back to back weeks. How do I compete with that? I mean, I had, an unf- I had an unfair advantage. It's a brand new course. You were not able to play it. So you didn't really know yeah. what playing style was going to do well out there. And uh, I mean, it was, it was Calvin Heinberg's dream. It was, it well, was low you got ceiling galore. And anybody which, was going to pick Calvin. It doesn't matter the style of course. I feel Yeah, like. we'll, we'll talk plenty about Calvin. Trust me later on about what this man is currently doing in the disc golf scene. Um, all right, let's shift over. Cause we have our guest coming on. We were going to have, obviously this week was kind of a crazy week for, for the FPO division with Sayananda winning, winning. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. I believe it is Sayananda. I, I was saying it so many times this week and Kelsey, so was like, why do you keep saying both her names? I was like, because you can't just say her first name. Her 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 name is so sick, like first last name. You yeah. just have to say both. 
all the time. Um, I do want to talk to her at some point because I think it would be interesting to get a little bit more intel on like where she thinks she is. But we'll see. I think I believe she is playing in the next event. So we'll see what happens. It might be actually a better interview after her next event. If she ends up winning again or doing really well, or if she ends up not doing that well, we can kind of be like, do you feel like this was just a one-time thing or so I, I did want her on. However, Yuli was able to get the white whale, if you will. Uh, he was able to pull some strings and get the uh, the twelve time world champion Ken Climo, a man that doesn't really do interviews. Mm-mm. So we we're like, clear the schedule. Let's get Ken on here and give him the full as much time as he wants to be on here. We have no idea if he's going to be on here for ten minutes. 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, no idea. I have, uh, Yuli, you've looked at the show notes. I have so many questions. So many. I have so many questions. <laughs> I do too. Everybody does. I feel like if you anybody who, I mean, he's a dream guest for a podcast. He really is because he doesn't do interviews. He doesn't really come out into the public very often. I don't know when the last time we saw him, like USCGC, a few years ago he came and he was just there. I mean... What is he doing? Is he still playing? Like, I mean, those are just the easy ones. What does he think about nowadays? Yeah. Is he going to make a comeback? Like, what's going on? And I, I, I mentioned on Twitter how, you know, I've had the privilege and opportunity to interview and do videos and talk to a lot of, a lot of pretty big either sports, you know, athletes or celebrities yeah. And I, I obviously there are some times where I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking to this person or I can't believe I'm, it's been a long time since I've have felt what I felt today where I was like, dude, I have to prepare. I need to like, I need to come into this thing because this dude is going to go down as the biggest or should like the biggest legend in disc golf, right? We talk about these people and all these other sports and they're just legends. You, you, you always hear about Babe Ruth, right? No matter how late into baseball you get into, Babe Ruth will always be someone that will be talked about. And I think Ken Climo is on that same like legend status of 20 years from now, 50 years from now, he will always be talked about. Mainly because I don't think anyone's ever going to get close to 12, time, uh, 12 world championships. With just how different the game is now. Yeah. That just seems un, unreachable, right? For, oh, for sure. I mean, it just goes without saying, like, what he did. And, like, when the debate comes up about who the GOAT is, right? I'm excited I, to hear what he says about I that. I always, this is my answer, is I always give Kenny the nod. And the reason why is, I have a specific reason, is because Kenny won his last world championships in his 40s. I think he was like third late 30s. Wow. And so I always say like he did it early in his career and then he did it late. If Macbeth can get one late like almost into the Masters division, mm. I might be able to give him the nod. But right now the span of how Kenny did it winning a world championships in 1990, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that his first one? I believe so. And then is it somewhere around there. And then his last one in 2006. That's a long span. That's over a decade. Yeah. And, and obviously too, 
like disc golf, I don't think really has changed that much. You, you would, you'd be better at talking about this in the last 10 years, five years, like the disc technology might not have changed that much. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he thinks about that on, you know, does he feel like his playing career, like in his time, did the game change a lot and he was able to innovate and change with it? Or, you know, does he feel like now the game is like every year, the game is going crazy and crazy, different, different. I think like from when I first got into it to now, as far as like playing wise, I don't think much has changed. I just think the field has gotten a lot better. So it's like the competition's gotten a lot better and maybe some of the courses have gotten a little bit more difficult, but it's not like a new disc is, is coming into play where we're like, Oh my God, like no one could throw this shot. I I just watched an interview with him and size. Let us know when he's on so we can uh, throw him on here. But I just watched an interview with him where he was like talking about, which is a, a dream to me. They didn't have any overstable discs, right? They're, they didn't have a disc that you could throw and have it go to the right and then finish to the left. And that's just so interesting because it is a completely different game at that point. If you are playing with only understable discs, you are playing a completely different sport essentially than what we have now. So there's a lot of questions to ask. Um, and I'm just very excited to have the opportunity. And I'm also curious too, of like why he decided to come on this podcast. You know, I know you have a lot to do with that, but I think for him, I'm also interested in like, why doesn't he want to be on podcasts or interviews or why doesn't he want to be kind of in the limelight anymore? There's, there's a lot of questions that I think people are curious about. Um, and so I'm, I'm just very interested to get the, to have the chance to talk to him and see kind of what he's been up to and, and all that. Uh, while we wait for him though, do you have any, like, did, do you have any stories of him? You know, were you kind of up in the ranks playing around when he was kind of finishing out his career or was, did you guys never kind of overlap? No, for sure. I mean, uh, 2008, 2009 is when I started playing pretty good. And I was on, I was on quite a few lead cards at like majors and, and, national tours back then and stuff so i got to play with him quite a bit i mean i i guess probably my favorite story about about kenny was uh we were playing the memorial and i'm playing with him and josh anthon and i forgot who else was on the card but he called me on a footfall on the first hole and i was like at that point you could just re-tee and so i just re-teed or whatever but i was like man this guy freaking called me on a footfall like what the heck and i was salty so I look at Josh and back in the day, Kenny, his putting style was he would put his foot and it would kind of rock his front foot up and down before he okay. got ready. And then he would rock and his foot front foot would kind of come up and then he'd step. And a lot of times he would step on his mini, right? And so I looked at Josh and I'm like, I'm calling Kenny on football. Like it's going down. Like, and I'm like, you got to second it though. And he's like, all right, if he does it, I got you, right? And so we're playing, we're playing, and and he does it a couple times in his warm-up routine, but he doesn't step on it. And so finally, on the last hole, uh, this is the final round of, 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 of the Memorial. We're on the second card, so we're all making a push for top three. Well, we get to the final hole, and Josh's, Josh, myself, and Kenny are all tied 
and I put it to like 40 feet. Josh put it to like 30 something feet and Kenny put it to 25 feet. And I, I was still looking for this spot, right? I'm still looking to see if I can catch him off the fall. I putt, I miss. So now Josh has a putt, he makes it, and then Kenny steps up and I'm like, I'm watching him, right? And he gets up to the thing, he puts his foot on the mini, I see the mini go up and I'm about to be like, yes, I got his ass, you know? And then he goes, pulls it back, looks at me and Josh, and knocks down the putt. Like knows that like you're trying knows to... that I was looking for him to make this thing happen. I've talked to him. I've talked to him a few times about it. You know what I mean? To be like, do you remember that? And he's like, of course I remember that. You know, and that's, that's just like awesome. a classic Kenny. Because when you talk about the greats, like somebody of his caliber, the competition level, you just don't even know how great they are and how good they are in their head. Because people like that, they see everything. Mm. They see everything and they take everything in. They know their competitors, what they're doing, what they're probably thinking, when they're going to beat them, the opportunities and all that stuff. And that really brought it to like full circle for me to look at this dude and be like, this guy is so much better than I even know. You know, mm. like he held that the whole time and he knew I was trying to get him and his little mini started popping and he pulls it back, looked at both me and Josh and then just knocked it down. Wow. The dude was just a straight competitor. He seemed like he might have been one of the first people potentially to take the sport very seriously. And Listen, he was a monster. He was a big dude too, athletic he, build. He, like he was. If, if you can go back and look at, there's some pictures and videos of him when he wins. He just picks up the basket like he was a like like it weighed one pound. Like he just picked that thing up and shook it. You know what I mean? Not only was did he have that athletic build, but the guy competes at everything. It mm. doesn't matter if it's kick rock. He's going to go out there and try to beat you. You know, I, play, I played a, my fair share of uh, traditional golf with him. He, he likes to um, hit the sticks from time to time. And so I would go out and I would play with him. And he is just a competitor at, at whatever. He'll bet on a, you know, if you guys have the same putt, there's going to be money for that putt. Like that's just the way, it, way that he is. Yeah, and a lot of times that's just how these guys are wired, right? They right. they don't know when to shut it off. I remember when I was playing uh, table tennis with Rom, you know, a sport that I don't think he thinks he's very good at, but he was very competitive at it. And I'm just like, it, it's just something that you cannot switch off, even though yeah. you're like, bro, you are literally like the one of the best golfers, if not the best golfer in the world. Like it, it's okay to you know lose in table tennis or something, <laughs> yeah. but but that I doesn't think compute. To, yeah, to get to that level though, you have to you have to attack everything. You have to, and I think even when it when it comes down to your training with your practice, all these things, you have to have this obsessive, you know, aggression towards all these things to to get to that level, and you know it it seemed like that was something that was kind of just. Again, it would be interesting to see, is that something that he always had? Is that something that he was somehow able to figure out to get to that point? And the thing as well is, is he's, he's really smart. Um, I've asked him questions, especially early on when I first came in the sport. Everybody was so accessible that I could ask, you know, Barry Schultz, can climb all of them, any mm -hmm. questions when I was learning. And I remember one thing that I asked him is I was – 
playing really well, but at the end of my rounds, I was so exhausted and I'd get these migraines because I would just be so focused through the whole entire round. And it started to like really wear on me. And so I asked him, I'm like, hey man, I start I, I started getting these migraines after I play and I'm exhausted. Like, do you have any advice on how I could, you know, fix this? And he goes, Well, I mean, how do you concentrate? Do you concentrate on every shot and or do you concentrate, you know, once in a while? And I'm like, oh no, I'm dialed in. As soon as I get to the course, I'm focused on everything. I'm focused on the next shot. I'm focused on doing whatever it is in that moment. And he goes, well, that's your problem. He's like, you have 30 seconds to throw. So use that 30 seconds to focus. Don't focus the rest of the time. That helped me so much. Like I've never had that problem again. Just that easy way to, you know, like an easy little tip to me. I thought I was doing it right because I'm like, no, I'm not letting any shot go. I'm not letting anything happen. And he's like, no, you're actually overthinking it. Just Mm. use that 30 seconds think about what you're supposed to do and then talk to whoever on your way to the next one or, or, or whatever. And I, and that really, you know, was something that I, I think about a player like that. Not every really good player can give you a tip. Unfortunately, some people just don't even know what they do. No, they're just good. They also just like describe, like they'll tell you something like, oh, this is what I do. And then they do it. And you're like, no, you don't do that. That's not what you <laughs> right. do at all. What You've you heard that about? from somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that you just said, though, that rings true is an aspect of disc golf that I think some people look over as what makes disc golf challenging in a way is how slow, slow it is. It, it is. It is a sport where you are, you can get lost in your thoughts and you can have your thoughts destroy your round where, you know, coming from ultimate Frisbee, that's been something that has been very difficult for me to kind of transition over into. Luckily I did have some golf background to where obviously that's the same kind of concept there, but ultimate Frisbee, like you're, you're on the field. You don't really have time to, contemplate like right. oh am i going to throw this pass into the ground am i going to drop this everything's so quick that's very reactionary and so at this point it's just like how much work have you put into it how much training have you done go out there and can you execute disc golf there is so much downtime where you're just walking and that's one of the reasons why i love absolutely love having caddies and again I'll say this. I believe I have the best caddies every single tournament. I get so lucky. I just had Ryan on my bag at Texas States, and he was incredible because I'm able to throw a shot, whether it's good or bad. There's a good chance when I don't throw again for like three minutes, four minutes. And what am I doing in between that time? You know, I'm talking about the UFC fights coming up. I'm talking about where he lives, his family, or what he's doing, or I'm talking about the food I'm going to eat after my, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm not like you were saying locked in because our rounds are three plus hours. And if you're locked in, as soon as you get to the tournament, now you're saying that you're locked in for four hours straight. Like good luck with that, man. No, exactly. It's so, it's so different like you said, like playing basketball or anything like that, because even just running 
like if we could run to our next shot, it would be such a different game because you just it's cardio, you know, your body, everything's everything kind of gets going. It's easier to concentrate on whatever it is. And disc golf, I think golf, golf as well. I mean, it's that's what is so beautiful about it is all you have is your thoughts and you have time to mess it up. So part of the game is being able to control those the whole time. Or shut them off is is like what I had to learn is to shut them off and then control them. I wonder too how good like would I increase my skill level if I did that if I if I live legitimately went back to like ultimate frisbee kind of days of where I'm not standing at my disc looking at like and like visualizing the shot. It's like I get to my get to my lie. I, I figure out what shot I'm going to do. I pull it out of my bag and then I immediately just walk up and throw it. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm like, I take no time Yeah. because when I go pr- like in the fields and practice and stuff, I'll sometimes do that. I'll sometimes have a basket, you know, 200 feet away and I'll have like five putters or zones or whatever in my hand. And I'm just like, at that point, it's just <laughs> yeah. muscle memory. And I'm just do, do. And I feel like those shots, I'm like, why can't I do that in a tournament? Crisp. Yeah, they just come out clean. I'm parking, you know, and I wonder, like, does... The only thing is, like, if I do that, I could get crucified. Like, we walk walk up to a tee pad, and everyone's taking their time, and and it's my turn, and I immediately just pull a disc out of my bag, and one fell swoop, like, out of my bag, run up and just chuck it. (laughs) People are going to be like, dude, does this guy even care? Yeah. But I wonder, you know what would that, what would my results be from that? Cause that is something that I am ingrained to and I'm used to. I think we got it. Okay. We're going to pull you in here. Here we go. We got the man himself. Yuli, you want to give the introduction? I feel like, I feel like you need to give the introduction here. Well, yeah. I mean, this man <laughs> needs no introduction. It's Ken Climo, 12 time world champion. Greatest of all time. My good friend. And, uh, Man, we're so happy to have you on here. I'm glad to be here with you guys. Yeah, I, I was telling Yuli that, you know, before you came on, I, I've, I've had the pleasure of interviewing and talking to a lot of people throughout my career, and it's been a long time since I've actually felt, like, nervous to meet or talk to someone. And so it felt good to kind of have the butterflies because I've heard so many stories, and your name obviously, you know, one of the first discs I ever got was actually from Avery Jenkins and it was a 10 time AVR. And that's what I was putting with when I first started playing disc golf, I was putting with that. And then I had like one of his destroyers or something. And, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm just saying it's, it's an honor to actually get to finally get a chance to talk to you. I have crazy amount of questions for you. So please let me know when I've, you know, talk your ear off and you're done talking with me. Um, let me know. But, uh, I know our, our people listening, um, are very excited for this interview as well. A lot of people have been saying that they're looking forward to this one. Uh, so without further ado, I guess the first question I have is, you know, you did decide to come on this. I think a lot of that has to obviously do with Yuli, your connection with Yuli, what what would you say is like the main reason why you um, have maybe not done as many interviews or because I'm sure tons of people would love the opportunity of talking with you. What's kind of the the reason for you to kind of handpick or, you know, come on the scene every once in a while? 
I don't know. I'm just not that tech savvy. <laughs> kind of gotcha. living my own life, you know, doing doing family things nowadays. Basically, is probably the reason. Okay. Um, I mean, that me and Yuli will tell you right now, we're not very tech savvy either. This, <laughs> you, you, you came at the right time because this podcast was an absolute disaster a couple, a couple episodes again ago. So, um, okay, I, I just kind of want to know too, how did what, what got you into disc golf? What was like the start? What, what jumped you into it? I guess. Well, I had played ball golf since I was seven years old, played for my high school team, loved the game of golf, still love the game of golf. But uh, I used to hang out with some friends of mine that lived in this neighborhood, kind of where the course went in. I didn't know it went in there. And my brother mentioned something to me about, hey, do you know there's a Frisbee golf course over in this park that's near the neighborhood that my buddies live in? And I was like, no, Frisbee golf, what's that? You know, I've never heard of that. Went out there and tried to, you know, locate what he was talking about and didn't really see anything that looked like golf. Basically, there was no baskets. It was just wooden posts with red paint on the top. So you had to hit the red paint part. And so that's why I didn't really notice anything. I just saw some, po- you know, just some posts sticking out of the ground. I have no idea what it was. But I uh, ended up going back there and realizing that, that those posts were the disc golf course. And I didn't even know what a basket looked like at that point. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'd never was even that- heard. That was, that was in 1987. Was that was that fairly common at the time? Like most courses had posts, or was that more like just like a local course type of thing? That was a local course type of thing because most courses I went to after that point, you know, had baskets. But in the beginning, okay. I think a lot of courses did start out with an object before they were able to get baskets. So, so did you not have any? Did you not have any like? Um, prior frisbee like tossing it on the beach or anything like that did you mess around with the frisbee at all or were you strictly golf and then just got into disc golf itself oh that's one of the that's one of the unique coincidences is i used to throw frisbee in that park with my buddies before i ever heard about disc golf and yeah i played beach frisbee hucked the lid around a ton did some freestyle you know you'd get with your buddy and throw your lid and you try and back him up you try and back you up that kind of thing and so yeah i had probably thrown over a hundred thousand, you know, throws with the frisbee before I ever got gotcha. disc golf. Definitely did lots you, and lots of throws. <laughs> did you dabble ever into ultimate frisbee? Other than I never like... did play any formal ultimate games. We did some pickup games here and there mm-hmm. at the at the course I played at, but never anything formal where there was referees and all that stuff. I feel like you would have been a very formidable force in Ultimate Frisbee. I I mean, I don't know exactly how tall you are, but from the videos and stuff I've seen, it does seem like you tower over your your opposition. So I feel like with your throwing background and your height, you would have been a a pretty good Ultimate Frisbee player. Yeah, I got pretty good hands. I catch pretty good. I ran, you know, I ran and jumped pretty good back in the day. I probably would have been fairly decent at the game. You probably picked a more financially beneficial uh, career path, though, in disc golf. There, there still is not very much money in, in Ultimate Frisbee, even to this day. I am um, seeing it posted all over Facebook. I got the, you know, the AUDL. I see that on Facebook all the time. They're yeah. definitely getting a little bit more of a presence out there, for sure. Yeah. And they look a little bit more professional than they used to. You know, they're in bigger stadiums, and they have some crowds, and their, their uniforms are snazzy and whatnot. Yeah, they're getting up there for sure. There's some things that are obviously causing some issues with with it kind of growing and, and breaking through a little bit. Um, okay, but back to you. Another question I had: Did you have any other athletic background? Were there other sports that you played growing up, or was it strictly just golf? Was what you played mostly? 
I did a lot of stuff as a child. Yeah, I played baseball for umpteen years, little league and whatnot, and kind of didn't really play for my high school. That's kind of where my baseball career ended. I didn't even try. I probably could have, but I ran track. I uh, played volleyball in middle school, played a little bit of peewee league football, raced bicycles, BMX. I did, I did quite a few things athletically for sure. Do you feel like, because I know your first event, like your first official event, you ended up winning. Do you feel like being success, successful early on kind of drove you into wanting to continue to get better and better at disc golf? Like had you played your first event and you got dead last and you're like, I'm absolutely terrible at this. Do you think that would have changed your trajectory on like your career in disc golf? No, I don't think so at all. And anyway, that first event was an amateur event. So <laughs> I wasn't really playing against the best of competition in that event anyway, but no, I was so hooked with the sport before I ever played any kind of event that I was going to play and get better no matter what. So your oh, first sick. event was an amateur event? Yeah, I think I only played two amateur events in my whole life. Went pro after my second amateur event. Yeah, I was going to ask, so what if you if you took those scores and then put them in the pro field, or was it just strictly an am event? Would you have um, I actually think played one of them was good? an amateur event, and I'm not sure about the other one. Uh, can't really recall right now, but I just knew how my game was progressing at that point. Yeah. I, you know, I played for like, you know, four or five, six months before I ever got into any one event because there wasn't really, really that many events back in the day. I mean, okay. there was it was a handful per year in my state. Basically, there wasn't much going on in 1987. Well, I was born in 1987, so there was a lot going on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, disc golf. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. What is what is your favorite disc golf memory? Because I did see a clip of you doing some tricks at Pinehurst, which I thought was dope because Pinehurst is like one of my favorite favorite uh, golf complexes I've ever gone to. And you were playing like right on that huge, I don't know if you remember this, but you, you were like oh, yeah. skipping, you're skipping the Frisbee into skipping like this, the, into a chair, into and a chair, style moves right on actually, that massive putting green where uh -huh. you can just like, yeah, that right in front of the clubhouse. Yeah. yeah so do you have us, any other, let us throw some discs out there on the course too. And we're out there filming us and made a little montage. That's probably what you saw was the Jack Nicholas of disc golf. That montage. Oh, is that what it was? So yeah. did they, they invited you out there to kind of do like a little piece on you. Well, I had friends get me out there on the course and those friends told the higher ups at Pinehurst that me and Barry were going to be there. So they oh. sent their own cameraman out there to kind of follow us and, shoot some stuff of us while we're on the course. Wow. We threw some discs on a par three. It was like 170 yards through one pin high, like 510 feet. And then we crushed a couple down a fairway, big par five, just let them rip big flex shots, you know, across the lake going out there. And that was really neat. I actually hit a, hit a, hit a mini with a three wood and made it fly. Like you throw it. Oh, that's sick. Yeah. That's, that that's actually too. sick. That was part it, of it. Any, any other things like opportunities and stuff that you've been able to do kind of like that over the years that you've really enjoyed? A few here and there, not that many. Uh, one of my one of my most most uh, cherished memories of just doing something with disc, but it's not you know actually playing or competing in a disc golf tournament. Is we went to an overlook on the Blue Ridge Parkway when we were at the Laurel Springs Open back in the '80s, and we were hucking discs, you know, and there you'd have the big crowd kind of giving you the a okay or not right as soon as you released it. Oh no, it's no good. Oh yeah, that one's good. I take out this beat up Cobra and throw it with like 90 degrees hyzer, 
down the yes. mountain. Everybody's like, no, no, it's too much hyzer. And it just slowly flipped and slowly flipped and slowly flipped, flipped over, rode for about 30 seconds on the flip, came back, picked up speed as it went downhill, flipped over again and rode for another 25 seconds. This thing flew for a minute <laughs> before we lost sight of it. And that was, that's a pretty awesome memory just in non-tournament stuff. Yeah. Any, anything tournament wise jump out at you of just like stuff that you're just like, when that happened, that's something that's going to be submitted in like my memory forever. Well, I, I think winning my first world championships was uh, pretty special. It was nine lead changes with three different leaders throughout the final 18 holes. And nice. I was able to throw a Cobra on the second to last hole, like 470 feet right under the basket. Tap what is a Cobra? I, I've never heard of that one. It is a Stingray with a bead or a slightly It's like almost rock. a mid-range is what it is. Oh, really? It's, it's like shaped. It's a. It's like kind of a deeper a deeper rim than the drivers will see now and it's like a more of a of a blunt edge right i know it's a little sharper than a rock i would say right just a slightly bit faster than a rock but very that was like your go-to disc off the tee oh yeah for quite a few years until the viper came out oh okay and that was in uh scottsdale right that was in scottsdale that was because del camino yep because i know the spot and when I was first coming up in Scottsdale, people would take me to the spot and be like, this is the spot where he threw like 500 foot with a Cobra. And we weren't getting that far with the disc that we had. And I'm like, there ain't no way he threw that with a Cobra. <laughs> it's deep. It's deep. It was, yeah, had some adrenaline, I think, going on there. Because I wasn't <laughs> yeah. usually throwing like 475 with the Cobras. 425 maybe, but 475 was, that was a little out there. But the air's a little thinner out there, so... It goes a little farther out there than it does here. It's really humid here, and this just doesn't don't go as far here, in general. Was there was was there like a increase? I mean, obviously you won your first one, but what? At what point did you just like think to yourself, "I'm never losing one of these"? Right after you win so many, was there was there a moment in time where you're just like, "I'm never going to lose. <laughs> I'm I'm literally yeah. just going to beat everyone." I Every never time. thought that I was never going to lose because I played many other tournaments throughout those besides the world, you know, and would get beat regularly. <laughs> so I didn't ever think I was never going to lose one, but I figured the world back then was 10 rounds, right? It was two yeah. rounds a day for five days. So it kind of let the cream rise to the top before it was all over. And I knew if I played anywhere near my potential that I would be in the hunt, you know, basically that's, that's all you can do as a golfer is trying to be in the hunt towards the end of the tournament. Do you ever feel like you won a tournament just by like showing up to where the intimidation of just how successful you were as a player? Cause we, you know, I would say like the tiger effect, if we're looking at golf, there, there was many times where you would be in a pairing with tiger at the end of a tournament and that person would just fall apart. Did you ever see that with where someone would have a really good tournament and then all of a sudden it get down to the final round or whatever and they're in with you and you're going head to head and you could just tell that they were not able to play to their best potential just because of the pressure that you brought? I mean, that pressure is self-induced, so that would have to be on the competitors and they would be, have to be able to answer that. I, I wasn't putting any pressure on anybody myself. Maybe, you know, they, they self-induced the pressure. <laughs> But I think that happened to me in 1989 a little bit because I played really good in my first world championships. No one knew who I was. We, me and CR Willie played the doubles. We won the doubles and 
John A. Hart and Steve Valencia come up to us. I'm like, who the hell are you guys? We've never heard of you guys. How are you winning the doubles at the World Championship? Then I went on to play really great that week, was in the lead group the whole time, was one stroke out of the lead going to the last day, and didn't play my best golf the last day. You know, maybe a little nerves got to me. It was my first time on the big stage and ended up fifth, I think, tied with R.J. Jerez. That was the one Steve Weiskup won mm. in 1989. So were you kind of a student of the game as you were coming up? Like you knew of who the, the top players were and stuff as you were getting into it? The more, there I got, coverage the more I got and stuff? involved, the more I got into the history of it for sure. Okay. Well, nice. here's here's the facts, Kenny. If you stepped out on, on a world yeah. at the world championships right I'm now yeah. and you were on any card, they're gonna be intimidated. <laughs> and yes, it's probably is self-induced, but that's what you do to people. That's what the greats do is they, if they're on the card, you're just like, oh my gosh, Ken Klein was about to watch me throw this. <laughs> like, I would say then, that and, and the crowds, I'm sure if you, if you showed up to play an event, I'm sure the crowds would, would be there. The cameras would be there. And now all of a sudden I, I'm just, I'm just showing up thinking I'm just gonna have a normal round. And all of a sudden I have 200, 400 people watching me. It's a, it's probably it's intimidating. I'm sure for some players, I've definitely watched some people crumble for sure, but <laughs> I don't know if it was because of the, the intense moment because they were, you know, they were in the battle in the final round with, you know, three or four other good players or however that mat- mattered in their own brain. I can't pick their own brain at that moment to know what crumbled them, but yeah, I've definitely seen some crumbling going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess like just watching like, um, the Michael Jordan documentary and then hearing the competitors like talk about him, you know what I mean? And the way that like you, you see podcasts nowadays on like YouTube and you hear about like the, those old players talk about Michael Jordan and they were just, they all say the same thing. They're just like, if Michael Jordan was there, like we, he, it was just over type thing. Right. For sure. That's a different kind of sport. You know, you're kind of more, hand-to-hand combat in those kind of sports yeah. rather than we're kind of, you know, more of a passive thing against no, each other. No, we're pumping you up here, Kenny. I'm telling you, it's a real thing. Those guys <laughs> crumbled because of you. I'm giving you the credit. Did well, you have it? Oh, go that's ahead. one thing Sorry. that I never experienced myself. Sure. Like, I didn't go up against, like, I didn't get into a group with someone and go, oh, my gosh, it's Steve Weiskup or, oh, my gosh, it's Dave Greenwell. Or, that, that feeling never came across me. I just felt like if I played my game against the course, because golf is you against the course. It's not you against the other person. You have to beat the course. If you can't beat the course, you're never going to beat the other player. So you might just answer my question, but I am curious. Did you ever just show up to a tournament to be like, all right, I'm just here to kind of have fun. This is a fun tournament. And then someone did something during the round where you were just like, oh, you want me to actually play. Okay. And then you just like turned it on kind of thing. Cause again, there isn't that, you know, like you were saying in basketball, you can have that one V one where you make a shot on someone and maybe you taunt them a little bit. And then you're just like, okay, it's on. There's not really that in disc golf, but was there ever a tournament like that where you were just like, I'm just here to kind of show up, have a good time. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay. You want me to birdie every hole. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> If I showed up to a tournament, I wasn't there for a good time. I was looking. Okay. No matter how big of a tournament it was, it was, it was always straight. You're trying to get the, the, the championship basically. Yeah. I mean, I like that. Just like tiger would say, I'm out there for the V. Yeah. I like that. (laughs) Um, okay. There was a few, there was a few tournaments I went to that were fun tournaments that weren't, you know, it didn't matter if I won or lost. They weren't like PDGA tournaments. They didn't, they were just off the books tournaments and yeah. I played a few of those, but 
they weren't like real tournaments that didn't count towards my career record or anything like that. Like the disc gotcha. roast in North Carolina, they was like mandatory that you drink alcohol in every hole or something like that. And <laughs> <laughs> there was a ball golf tournament like in the morning and then disc golf at night. And if they added the scores together and whatever you shot ball golf and disc golf added together. And that was the way the tournament, it was called the 10 cup challenge. And yeah, that, that type of thing, I would just go into wanting to have fun. Gotcha. Yeah. I but do have a be, question about your still be competitive as well. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it, it, like I said, it's one of those, when you have that competitive spirit, it's very difficult to just like go and do something and not care about the result. It's it's tough to be able to shut that shut that part of your brain off. It really is. What, what was your training like? I, I'm curious what your training like was on course. So how how often did you putt? How often did you go to the field and throw? How many rounds of you know when you had a world championship? How soon did you get? I'm going to ask you a lot of questions here. How soon did you get to the world championship course to practice it? And then also, what was your training like off the course? Did you run? Did you lift weights? Um, was there a nutrition that you were following? How serious were you taking this? Uh, I was taking it pretty seriously, not for any any gain, of, but to, for me to get better at the sport. In the beginning, I would probably play about 10 rounds a day. And Jeez. my course only had nine holes back then. So it was only nine baskets. So I would, I would play at least 10 times around these nine. And, you know, just trying repetition, repetition, repetition. And I would putt at home, inside, controlled environment, no wind, just to get the stroke down, things like that. And, you know, hundreds a day, hundreds of putts a day, easily. And as far as working my body out, I was a carpenter. I framed houses in the beginning of my career. For probably the first 12 years of my disc golf career, I was I was also a carpenter. So basically, I went to, the, I went to work and... It's like going to the gym for 12 hours and getting paid for it. I was telling Brody, like when, when it has one, of, one of the tournaments you won, you picked up the basket and I'm like, it looked like a nerve basket the way you picked it up and just shook it above, above your head. I'm like, dude, back in the day, Kenny was a monster. There's a couple, yeah. there's You're a couple of pictures. 2007, I was 39 at that point when I did that. <laughs> and then there's like a couple photos of you playing with your shirt off and uh, there's no fat on that body. <laughs> still isn't much at 55. I, I can't believe it. I haven't thickened up a little bit more. I still weigh pretty much what I weighed my whole career. 175 wow. to 180. Is that, are you still kind of doing the carpentry stuff? And that's no. kind of, Oh no. Oh no. You I, have I a, quit doing that in the late nineties. You used to have a really good metabolism. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I have children. <laughs> yeah, they keep you busy. I'm sure. <laughs> So you're talking about your putting and how you would practice it. One thing I did notice from watching footage of you, your putt is different than a lot of other players. And when I first got into disc golf, I was actually messing around without even knowing about it with a putt kind of similar in the sense of not having this big backswing. We see, you know, a lot of players start the disc in front of their face and they bring it all the way down to their hip. You were kind of more closer to your stomach, I would say. So your backswing was much shorter. Do you feel like that gave you like, what, what made you go into that putting style? I don't know. I kind of putting to me is like individualistic. Each, each player needs to develop their own style. putt. like you look at Gannon Burry takes it down by his side, real close on his left side. And no one else does that, but him, I think you just need to develop your own style, which you can repeat. 
whatever you can repeat and be successful repeating, you know, consistent repeating it. And uh, for me, it was basically a, a weight shift. I'm shifting my weight from from back to front. And I want all my energy going through my hand. I, I had tried to be low-handed, very low-handed putt. My my hand was, you know, sometimes 12 inches off the ground as I'd go to, you know, take my backswing, stroke my putt, get down low at the knees, get the putter down low. I thought the lower you got, the more centered you were and the more you could drive through it. So was and this something that you, you – oh, go ahead, Yuli, sorry. No, I was going to say, so through the innovation of, like, baskets and stuff, did your putting style stay the same? Like, because early on, you guys were putting on, like, one-chain baskets, and then over time, you know, like your last world championship was 2006, the baskets had more chains chains and everything. Did yours gain velocity, or or was it the same stroke through the whole entire process? Because that's one thing that I'm noticing with this generation is the velocity is changing big time. But back in the day, they weren't going to get away with that, you know, on those oh, yeah. baskets. They'd you couldn't get out away every with time. It. Not only were there single chains, but the, the rims were only about this deep <laughs> yeah. instead of, like, this deep. <laughs> So it, once you just got in there, it could scoop around and go out the back real easy if you didn't have the right speed or the right, you know, angle and touch on it. You wanted to be really close to the rim back in the day, just over the rim, and they had the less chance to come out. The higher you hit, the more it would spread the chains apart and have a chance to deflect off a pole or something and come out. So mine stayed pretty much the same speed and line for the my whole career just because I've always wanted to, you know, make it over the nubs by like this much dead center. Yeah. Or just a little off to the right for you know right-handed spin to catch in. I also like stopped you from having those brutal like skip off the top of the basket misses, yeah, I, right? If you're if you're trying to go just over the the basket, my speed was never never too much. Like I didn't three putt very much ever in my career. I just because I had good speed. I think if you can control the speed of your disc, you can control the disc much better if you can control the speed. I, I see a lot of people whizzing it at the basket and paying the price for it these yeah. days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I when, watch a lot of the coverage, and there's definitely some hard putters. When it's on, though, it oh. is a thing of beauty. But, yeah, yeah, when it's off, it's a nightmare, I'm sure. <laughs> um, all right. Selfish – if you allow it, I have one selfish question. If you could give me one piece of advice, what would you give me? Keep doing what you're doing because you're climbing through the ranks, as I can see, really fast. Like you've come from like a 950 player to a 1025 player in a pretty fast, pretty fast time. I think, you know, just keep doing what you're doing and just don't give away strokes out there. Don't take bogeys. Yeah, that is that is brutal. It is. It, that, that's my kryptonite. I, I do. I get a lot of bogeys, unfortunately. I, I think I think today's game, you have to kind of go for everything nowadays when you didn't used to. But if there's going to be those couple holes throughout the tournament, you know, throughout courses that they're just risk reward. And if the, if the conditions aren't right for that day, don't risk it. Yeah. T- the open at Austin, there was a hole like that. And in practice, I literally told myself, I'm going to lay up and just play this hole for three, a par and move on. <laughs> and then you get in the tournament <laughs> and I, I went for it all three days and I bogeyed it all three days. And it's, it was an easy, like layup par hole and it's just like right what you're just saying i just gave the the field three strokes for no reason basically so right i think calvin lost that tournament because he went for hole one kind Mm. of turned his drive over and went up into the right ob and ended up skipping off the basket and going into the long ob and he took a five Mm. 
And then another hole, a couple of holes later, it was like 482 across the green, and he didn't get that's across the That's the one I'm talking about. That's the, that's the hole I'm talking about. He didn't get across the green. He took two fives right there, and he lost the tournament by three or four strokes, and that's four strokes. If you just laid up, laid up, it's easy three. Yeah. Easy three. And you're, at, you just, you're answering a question that I had just in talking right now. I was going to say, how caught up are you with watching tournaments? And I know you watch some, but do you watch every tournament, like the live through through – all, all the live coverage I pretty much watch these days, but I don't do any post coverage. I've never watched sure. any post coverage. Never have watched any post coverage. Yep. Always. Sorry, Yuli. <laughs> oh no, he, that's... He, he didn't watch your commentary. <laughs> hey, the fact that he's uh, watching disc golf still is awesome. Well, I still play. Heck, I went out to uh, throw down the mountain course, the Grand Canyon, two days ago on my birthday, and got to play around out there. Oh, sick! Birthday yeah. round. Always, yeah. Those are always the fun ones. There was no one else there. The course was closed that day, and we had a we had a Mike Barnett give us the the combo to the lock, and we were able to go out there. We were out there for the whole first nine holes with no one else on the property. It was it was surreal. It was unbelievable. I've never been there before, just totally alone, just me and Charlie Goodpasture. Oh, oh that's awesome. awesome! It was awesome. I ended up shooting five down on the Gold layout, which they're playing this weekend. It's tournament starts Friday. Well, there you watch, go. I got to watch the gauntlet out the... down. Throw the gauntlet down. <laughs> I missed five putts dead center, higher low by this much, too. I could have been 10 down pretty easy. I want everyone to tweet everyone that is doesn't shoot five under that, that they did not beat Ken's score out there. <laughs> Love that. A question about the disc, because that is something that has changed a lot from when you were playing to winning now. What do you think that has done to the pro game? Do you think it's made disc golf too easy now that there are so many different discs that do different flights and you don't have to manipulate the disc as much? I don't think, you know, when you're getting up to the upper echelons of pro disc golf, that it's ever easy. No matter what the discs are, it's not going to be easy because it's, it's right here. It's between your head. It's that six inch game, mental game between your head. That's how you play well. But as, as to the shots, becoming a little bit easier throughout the years i i think yes because back in the day everything we had was basically a negative three turn or more like you mm. had to start it out with a ton of hyzer and let it flip and it was more of a power slash finesse game you had to have some power but you to have also had to have quite a bit of finesse to make the disc work nowadays you can get away with more power and a little less finesse Especially, mm. you know, the sidearms. Back in the day, to try throwing a stingray with a sidearm. Just try it out sometime. Tell me, tell me how you do it. Hey, I throw the sky streak sidearm. I I, 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 I hear you. I I, but, I love I love doing like that, messing around with that. I think we only see that really in scrambling now. Like the the finesse kind of soft touch angle shots. You really only see those when we have to. You know, when we're in the woods and we're having to kind of scramble and throw those lines. You don't really I see think, them that much off the tee. The woods is a great equalizer in, in the power finesse game. Yes. I think you got to have way more finesse when you're in the woods. You can't just get away with the brute strength and power. Cause you got to have a little more room to work to this with a, you know, an overstable disc. It's kind of, you got to do this and understable disc. They just kind of turn into their line and fly dead straight. And I think they're way better in the woods. I think more people would benefit from using a little less stable disc in the woods. And I still, people see a lot of people throwing the overstable disc through tight tunnels and just like, why? <laughs> Use something less stable. It's a lot easier to hit the gap. Yeah. Um, okay. Do, do we do we have the conversation now, Yuli? Because I'm I'm very curious as to his thoughts on 
the goat conversation. I know you probably get that all the time, but I am, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on it. Cause it gets, it gets thrown out all over the place on social media. It feels like, you know, it's on Reddit maybe once every month <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Um, are, are you, are you familiar with the, the conversation being talked oh, about yeah. and stuff? Oh, yeah. Okay. What, what are your, what are your, what's your take on it? Where, where do you stand? Well, I stand that I uh, have done what I've done, you know, and that's to be passed. If someone's going to, you know, claim goat status, I have to, I guess they have to pass what I've done. And, and I hear these, the amount of majors he's going to pass me here soon. I didn't have but one major a year for the first 11, 12 years of my career. I could only play one major a year. And then after that, I had two majors a year for another, you know, five or six years. So it was like 15, 16 years where I only had one or two majors to play. So I don't think that's a fair comparison in the grand scheme of things. Because if you were to give me four or five majors a year on all those years, I'd probably have 40 oh, by now. Yeah. Right. Oh. If you were, or if you were just to go back and retroactivate these certain tournaments as majors because they were the as biggest majors. tournaments, I would, you know, I would have 35, 40 of them. Gotcha. So in that regard, I think I'm way ahead. But in the actual sense of it being majors, I'm only one ahead. So, but so as, as far as the world championships, yes, I've won 12 and he's won six. So he's halfway there in my mind. So my, mm -hmm. so my question is then, because then we have that, and obviously we're talking about Paul McBeth, but because there weren't as many back in the day, is there a player that we're forgetting that could be in the conversation above Macbeth even because there weren't a lot of majors and he was playing well back in, back in the day? Was there anybody like at that caliber or were you just dominating everybody and they just didn't have a chance? There was some great players back in the day. I wouldn't take anything from any of those guys. Steve Valencia. I mean, that guy could throw both hands. He was a great player. He, did, he just didn't stay in the game that long. And, you know, Scott Stokely, when he was younger, I mean, he outdrove me by 100 feet. I was beating the guy every time. I didn't know how, but <laughs> <laughs> amazingness. But I don't think anybody has a, a, a say in the GOAT status, but myself and Paul at this point. Okay. I mean, that's honestly fair. That's probably the best answer I've ever heard. It's like the only two people I can say anything about are the people actually in the conversation, I guess. Right. And then <laughs> philanthropy-wise, he's the GOAT. He's doing things that I never could have done. I just didn't have the monetary, you know, access to, to do the things he's doing, the, the foundation and the, the new course, all that stuff, the new courses he's putting in all over the world. And I think that's great. My hat's off to him. I wish I could have done things like that. I wish I would have been able to, you know, be that person. But I was uh, a father who got divorced and I had to be home every other weekend to see my son, you know, it was court ordered that I was a visitational parent, got him every other weekend. So that's why I didn't play as many tournaments as I could have probably back in the day. And that's, that's why I didn't get to, to stay out there on tour. I never really stayed on tour. I went, you know, three weeks is probably my longest time from home on any tour just because I had to come back and be a father. Is, is that why you, I don't know how you retired. So I don't know the story behind that. What 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 led to your retirement from professional disc golf? Well, I kind of felt this little twinge in my hip one day after playing some ball golf, and then I had a, I was supposed to play a tournament that weekend in Clearwater here at home, and my back seized up. I couldn't do anything, and 
basically I can play disc golf. I can go out and play around, no problem. But I can't really play the next day without it hurting a bunch. And I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars trying to get that rectified, and no one's been able to help me do anything with that. So I quit spending the money on it. And that's basically where I'm at. I can't, I can't play three, four, five days in a row. I can play mm. one round one day and play just to, to my potential, but I can't do it multiple days in a row without debilitating myself. So are you itching? Is, is there an itch there to where you would just love to be out there playing and, and still playing tournaments? If there was a fix, hopefully there's a doctor out there listening to this and they might give you a little message. But if there was a fix for King Climo, would you, you know, make a re resurgence and, and want to play more tournaments and get out there? Uh, you know, deep down, yes. There's, yeah. I lived out of a suitcase basically for 30 years besides coming home every other weekend. And that part of it, I was kind of done with. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't get to see my son as much as I wanted to. As he was getting raised, he's 28 now. And now that I've got a daughter, she's 11. And I've been able to be in her life consistently, you know, for the last five, six years. It's, it's, it's nice. It's been a different change of pace. And I'm glad I, you know, I'm kind of glad everything happened the way it did just because I got to be here for the, the raising of her. Any thoughts on coaching? Any interest in that? I mean, I I give lessons a little bit here and there, but not really. More on the pro, no, nothing on the pro side. Like you, you wouldn't be interested in in helping some potentially down the road some professionals. I, I could see myself doing that, yeah, but it would have to be for you know the right price. <laughs> oh, of course, I've, of course. I, I've given so much of to, to to of myself to this sport throughout the years and received not that much in return. And. I, I seem to keep giving and giving and giving and giving. And <laughs> there's a few instances I can tell you. I did a how-to video with Dave Feldberg, went out to California, spent many a days out there filming it. And then all of a sudden, right at the end, it's about to be released, like something happens and it goes kaput. And I never saw a dime from it. Mm. I uh, went to do a how-to video with John Sink and the Disc TV guys from back in the day and spent many hours filming all that stuff. And... He ended up flaking out, and I don't know what happened. I gave him all these old videos I had of myself playing disc golf way back in the day, and those ended up coming up missing, so I don't have those in my archives. It's just I, I just feel like I've been stepped on every time I've tried to help or do something like that, and I just don't feel like I need to put myself out there unless I'm going to be financially rewarded up front because I've tried to do it many times and was, was shit on, basically. And I, Go ahead, Ely. Is there, like... Could you see yourself maybe being a commentator or in the future doing something with the sport as far as far as that as that goes? Because I know how educated you are on the on the game. I mean, you just went through um, talking about coverage and and what was I going on and into very in, into detail. And so, me personally, I couldn't imagine anybody better behind the mic than Ken Climo breaking down shots for the best players in the world. Is that something that like um, you've thought about maybe, maybe it could be a, a new resurgence of a career path or is that something that you just, you like watching and, and. I, I definitely could do that. But once again, I think it would entail me having to leave my home and live out of a suitcase to do that. And that's just not what I want to do at this point in my life. I am going to do it for the USDGC, though. Nice. This year? Upcoming? This year. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh. 
Heck yeah. I like that. That's awesome. <laughs> I did yeah. it for two years in 18 and 19. I did it then too for the USDGC. Yeah, you called uh, my ace on 17, man. I'll never forget it. I get to, I get to watch that on my Instagram from time to time when it gets popped up and Kenny calls my uh, – and what I mean by call, he commentates on the he ace. Commentate, yeah. Yeah, which is freaking amazing. Yeah, I ace 17 at the USDGC too one year, so Dang. tip of the cap. <laughs> well, that's one of the things. When, when, I, when I first came in, 2006 was my first uh, USDGC. And so I would get done early with my rounds and I'd be able to go watch the lead cards. And for, I think you won, did you won in 2007, correct? I did. And I, so that, that particular year, I remember going and watching, but the shots that I remember from you were on 17. Like you were destroying the place. He was shooting like 57, 58, like every round. Like, I believe that was the year that you ran away from everybody. Maybe Brian Schwaber got second. I think Cam Todd got second the year and had, had to donate his winnings back because he got some kind of penalty from the PDGA but or something. Whatever it was, I remember watching 17. His disc didn't leave the same spot four cleared, rounds in a row. the hay bales by like yep. this much every time. You were and landed like straight, in the same spot. Uh, straight like four, uh, backhand bullet, like, like a straight backhand shot little right turnover of a rock shot that you know hits the ground on a little bit of a turning edge and stops pretty quick because it's on a turnover but do you remember that do you remember your disc i the way i remember it is it landed in the same spot every round every round <laughs> i was aiming at that spot it was the you know the <laughs> middle of the green the farthest away from the ob areas that that's where i wanted to hit so i kept hitting my mark I, you know i got a little lucky there that hole could be a bear in the wind though Mm-hmm. You get a little wind brewing up on that hole, and you better you better sack up. <laughs> and you guys were playing it the same way with the OB retee. Yeah, and that year yeah. we were. Yes. Yeah, that I think that's what just makes that hole. I think if there's if there's like a you know sixty foot drop zone putt, if you go OB, I I think the pressure of that shot just completely goes away, and I don't yeah. think you see you're, that you're many a two OB or three shots. or four at that point. Yeah. Yeah. When you're on your third disc on that tee, you, you start you, your palms start getting pretty sweaty pretty quick because you're also yeah. probably not throwing the disc that you're really wanting to throw. Yeah, I've made a five on that hole. It didn't feel so great about it, that's for sure. You know, I had to retee <laughs> twice, three times, whatever. Yeah, retee, retee. It happens real quick. Uh huh. All right, so a couple questions I have now um, relate to kind of some things that we've talked about in the past. I'm curious is what your thoughts are on it. One of those being the dress code in disc golf. Now, watching your coverage, you had you know the polo tucked into more you know sometimes golf shorts, but sometimes like athletic shorts. What are your thoughts on proper dress code for the professional level? Like, is is there something in mind that you have that we should be wearing, or what are you thinking? Not really. I think the dry fit shirts are you know classy enough if they're if they're decent enough looking. I think I think anything from there above is fine, but I don't think we should be out there in you know tattered clothes with holes and stuff in them. Obviously, it just makes the sport look less appealing. But you know, a nice dry fit shirt with some good logoing on it and stuff like that, I think is is good enough to to be the standard. You know, if you want to wear more than that collar and whatnot, just to make make yourself look a little better, that's fine too. But I think you need to at least need to have like a dry fit shirt on and something that doesn't show like big sweat rings and stuff. Mm, yeah. Cotton's tough out there in the heat. 
Yeah, I don't think I think that's actually not part of the dress code anymore, Yuli. Am I am I am I right on that? I think it is dry fit is like the bare yeah, minimum. Yeah, you're not allowed to you're not wear allowed cotton. to wear cotton. Right. Yeah. It's it's been it's been interesting to see because there's a big push now for like collared shirts and golf pants and golf shorts. Yeah. Which wasn't the case when I first came in. But now you're starting to see, uh, you know, that side. I think with dress code, you're always going to have some people on some side saying we should dress like this. And some people say, no, we need to dress like this. I was just kind of curious where you were at on it. I I have noticed that the tour players do look more professional these days, especially the women. Mm. Women tend to get a little more (laughs) dressed up (laughs) and a little fancy stuff out there. But yeah, everything looks good on camera these days. I like I like the way it's looking. You mentioned in the world championship, I believe you said, how many rounds did you say was the world championships normally? 10. 10 rounds. What are your thoughts now on that shifting away and us going to more four or five round majors? Um, I think it's, you know, it's a little, a little bit better for the tournament staff and whatnot to produce the event for, for the four and five rounds. But what made the world championships the world championships was was, was it that, that it was more rounds and in, and it did you know it did take the in, endurance stamina you know mental fatigue is all a thing when you play more rounds in more days so you know i would i wouldn't mind seeing it be more like an eight round thing nowadays six to eight at least i think four rounds is you know it's that's a normal golf tournament to me. And yes, the ball golf tournaments are all four rounds and no matter if it's a major or not, they're all four rounds, but we had our own special thing going at the worlds. And I thought that was, I thought that was kind of cool that you had to be physically and mentally, you know, strong to endure the whole week. See, now I, I agree with you in the sense that that's, that's what sets the world championship apart from other tournaments. The other thing that I'm curious was it also the field was the world championship, like the tournament that you knew the best players were all going to be at, or were there other tournaments throughout the season where you're like this, you know, you look around you're like, this is exactly, these are all the best players. So is that, that, that to me, that's where it's kind of hard understanding, like what makes the world championship more special than an elite event right now, because for the most part, the field at the elite event and the world championship is almost identical in the sense of the top guys. They're all right. going to be there. But back when you were playing, was it harder for more players to show up to all the events to where the world championship was the place where you're like, this is where all the best players are going to be at. Most definitely the world championships were where like all the international players and, and people from each coast, you know, everybody was going to be at the world championships. There was anybody that wanted to try. And, you know, it wasn't like we didn't have big fields. I think in 1990, when we were in Scottsdale, there was 200 open players mm. in the field. And yes, there was people from Sweden, Japan, Germany. It was, it was, it was a true world championship. And I think, you know, that, that led to it being more credible because there was people from all over the world. And more of the tour events, you didn't you didn't see that as much. Definitely back in the day, you didn't see you know the the Finns and the Swedes and the the Germans and the people like that that they, they just didn't travel over for other events. What was so your the first check? Definitely a notch above everything else. What was your first check for the World Championships and and your first your first? I, I believe it was just over two thousand dollars. The one I nineteen ninety in Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, two thousand forty two dollars. If I've remember correctly that's pretty good that is pretty good i think i think uh i think calvin just won like seven thousand five hundred at the last event so 
not too shabby, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's my local boy too, Calvin. Yeah. Shout out to Calvin. Keep it up, yeah. buddy. He's killing it, man. He's killing it on tour. Um, question that I, I did, you know, kind of pull some people to, to just kind of get an idea of what, you know, the, the people that have been in disc golf for way longer than I have, what are they really, really curious about? And one that I kept picking up, and I don't know if you want to talk about this or not. So please tell me if you don't, what, what is your current relationship with Innova? Cause I don't even know. I just know that your name is on a whole bunch of discs, but besides that, like what, what relationship do you have with them? We have a good relationship. I just I haven't been able to do my part for them lately just because of, you know, my body hasn't been letting me. But they've, they've kept up their end with me fairly well. So it's a good relationship. We, we talk every now and then. And uh, I just wish I could do more for them. I, I, I'd like to, you know, maybe get out and do some some videos for them like Nate Sexton did with, you know, with the this the throwing styles and, you know tips and things like that i could def- i could definitely do do stuff like that with them and i wish they'd reach out to me and, and make that happen so I, I could definitely do stuff like that still i can still throw like i said i can still throw i just really can't play tournaments because of the, the longevity of the event and how much it makes my body break down i think people would love that i would love to see videos like that for sure i'll watch but you know but without innova you know I, I i would still be building houses there you go. Uh, and, and talking a little bit about money, what are your thoughts now on, on some of these pros contracts where they're, you know, they're making seven figures over, you know, a year. And last year we saw, I, I believe it was, you know, Ricky Paul and Kristen Tatar all make over a hundred thousand dollars in a single season. Is, is that something that you're, you know, proud to kind of be able to push the sport to where it is now? Yeah, I mean, I think I was a bit of a catalyst, you know, for for the things that are happening nowadays. I won seven straight world championships before I ever got any monetary compensation. Seven. In like sponsors and stuff? I had disc sponsors that would get discs and plastic, but I didn't get any monetary compensation until after I won seven world championships in a row. So I think I was the catalyst for any player getting paid any money. Because no one was getting paid anything before I did that. And how long would it have been had I not done that before someone did get paid? So it almost got to the point where it was like a, a breaking point where you're like, we need to start paying this guy. He's just won seven world championships. <laughs> and then from there, other people could be like, well, if you're paying Climo, you know, you need to pay me a little bit. Right, right. And then like, I'm the one battling him. Yeah. Up a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I, talk- I'm glad to see where it's at. You asked me, I'm glad to see where it's at. I'm glad to see the rising tide of it all. And I think it's great for the sport. I think it's great for the individuals who are receiving those contracts and whatnot. I just wish I was a 20 years later, you know, (laughs) Um, Kenny, quick question about it growing and, and, and everything when you're, let's say out, out at the grocery store, do people come up to you and, and recognize you and ask for autographs and stuff like a, is that something that happens still for you? Oh yeah. Not, you know, not all the time, but here and there, yes, I get recognized out and about and start conversations and whatnot about it. I've definitely signed some autographs and Bush Gardens. Gardens. We went to Bush Gardens one time and people recognized me. I went to get a COVID shot back in the day and someone recognized me in there and yeah, that definitely happens for sure. Well, good. 
More that's people, sweet. more people need to recognize. That's all I have to say. Yeah, <laughs> I'm hoping. I'm hoping a lot of people tune into this podcast yes. because you know a, a lot of my fans don't know anything about disc golf. They're very similar to me of where we were ultimate frisbee and then we kind of just popped onto the scene. And so they probably have a the, the same understanding as I do of like this mythical legendary character that won 12 world championships, but don't really get to know that much about him. And so, I mean, hopefully they listen to this and kind of get to an idea of just how incredible your career was in disc golf. Um, because again, you were at the forefront of where the media just wasn't like you were saying, there's like videos that you had that just don't exist anymore. The media nowadays is insane. There's so many podcasts talking about disc golf. There's so much post-production. Every it's shot videoed. You can go back to any shot in any tournament, yeah. any hole, any round. Oh yeah. This one. Oh yeah. Right there. Yeah. I was or, watching, I was watching all your world championship victories and there was like two years where it was just like, no video coverage and they just moved <laughs> on to the next one i'm like what there's just no not a single shot covered in these two years so um yeah it's crazy to kind of see how how nuts it is and it's funny too because we have a lot of people now you know talking about how bad the coverage is you know you get you, you're always going to get that where i'm sure you're looking at it being like dude this is way better than what we had yeah. when i was playing the world championships and and sorry for doing this, but I guarantee after this, you're going to be getting lit up for interviews um, from the other podcasts. And they're, they're going to be jealous. Like, I promise you that you're going to get lit up of wanting you to be on their shows and, and, and everything. And I hope you I hope you take that challenge and you go on there because the more people who see Ken Climo and hear the story, um, the better disc golf is. That's funny right. you say that because I'm doing one tomorrow night as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. there you go. Let's go. Um, okay, I have a few more questions. Yuli, jump in too if you have anything. Yeah. Thoughts on ratings? Because I don't know if you know, I'm I'm big anti-rating guy. But w- am I stupid for being big anti-rating guy? Convince I mean, me. Convince me why ratings are good. I, I can't convince you why ratings are good. I, I think you're, you're shooting a score out there. I'm not shooting a 1045. I'm shooting a 53 or Thank a 47 you. or a 60 or whatever it is. Like you're shooting a number on the course. Your rating is arbitrary. Love that. You like okay. world rankings then? World rankings are fine. Yep. I mean, why not do it like ball golf does it? They have a uh, scoring average. Like you average this many under per round. Yeah. Handicap. Yeah. I mean, it just, I'll, I, we'll leave it there. Cause I know people are probably <laughs> tired of me talking about yeah. my rants on ratings. The ratings just, are inflated these days as well. They're not, they're, they're like 15 points higher than they were in my day. It's funny too. They're, they're, they're deflating now though. Like they were, well, they, they were inflating. I, no, no, I agree. They were for sure. And now because like we just played a tournament with, Bunch of it was a silver event, so you had a bunch of lower rated players in the event versus Waco, Vegas, no lower rated players, right? Right. And ratings all of a sudden, like the win Calvin's winning score was like 1076. And the winning score at the open at Austin was like 1050 something. You're gonna tell me that Calvin just played that much better at no. It's it's literally because you had a bunch of low-rated people to make us everyone play look better. That's um, what the ratings is all about—is the propagators. Yeah, and so we're taking a dip now that 
the field has all gotten better to where like the lowest rated player in a lot of these events is like a thousand five. Yeah. Where in the past it was like nine twenty, nine thirty guys with ten fifty guys, and so all of a sudden it makes you know the scores look okay. Another about thing ratings. about that, oh, another thing yeah. about the ratings is you have a lot of OB on the courses these days. Yes. And the players that go OB a bunch make the players that don't go OB a bunch's ratings much higher. You're welcome. Yes. You're welcome, players. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Uh, I already asked There's that question. Too much OB out there, if you ask me. Dang, I was literally just about to ask you. What are your thoughts on courses, on golf courses, and artificial OB? I don't mind a little bit of it here and there, but you don't need to have it on each fairway around the whole hole, both sides of every fairway. I think that's a little redundant. Too penalizing, you think? Yeah. Okay. See, if you, look, I have... you look at you look at golf. You've got the fairway, and you've got a first cut of rough, and you've got a primary cut of rough. There's a buffer zone there, and then you've got trees. Then you've got an OB line, mm. right? You would play mini. You play ball golf, right? Yeah, for sure. I it's not, think it's there's... not fairway OB line. Unless there's a lake there, right? So, no, you're right. But I think there is a, a massive disadvantage of having your ball in the rough in golf versus yes. in the fairway in golf. And with disc golf, the, the, the fact that we can step around our lie and change trees, you know, if you're playing, you know, more of an open style course, trees a lot of times aren't going to be a huge deterrent for you throwing your next shot up to the green, no, and but so 10 inch rough would be hard to run up in. I agree with that. I, I, I do love courses that uh, like preserve, for example, they have a lot of high rough of where you don't want to be over there. It if you makes have it a ne- harder to throw the next shot, That's sand too. Need. sand's also yeah, really tough to do it. Sand's hard to throw out of. Yep. Yeah. I, I think, I think there's definitely different ways of doing it, but right now, if you, if you play on some of these courses that just don't have OB, the people that can just spray and throw it far a lot of times are going to have a huge advantage because there isn't a, a benefit in throwing it into the so uh, you know so-called fairway right because it's just not as punishing being off the fairway as much here's my take on it if you make one side of the fairway ob and the other side like it's a bailout area the bailout area is now a much harder upshot than the side yes. if you throw it closer to the ob you get it close to the ob you got an easy next shot if you throw yes. way away from the OB, your shot's way harder. That's the way the courses should be designed. You've got there to risk a- the OB line to have the easier next shot. And if you don't mm-hmm. risk it, your shot is way tougher. And that's the way you can design like a one-sided OB course. Not It doesn't have to be encapsulated in OB. I saw the ones in Houston this last weekend. The OB lines were painted right up to the tee pad on now, both sides. And then they I went will- out around the whole hole. Now, I will say, though, Houston, the, the thing that Houston did well is I thought that the design of the par fours, kind of how you mentioned, when you have par fours that are just like this, right? From the tee to the basket here, it benefits the players that just throw farther. And if you throw far and you're offline a little bit, that's fine. We had a lot of holes, though, that were like this. And so now when you throw a bad shot and you're way over here, like you're talking about, versus the person that throws a good shot, now, all of a sudden, there's massive things. There was, there was one hole where if you didn't get around the corner, like you had to lay up to the corner. I love holes like that to where really it really like benefits the look that. Of that course. I really like the look of that mm-hmm. place. It was an awesome looking course. I just yeah, don't I think you need to have job. OB down both sides of every hole, every fairway. What do you think about the distance 
is of the courses nowadays. Are, are you fine with that? Or do you think there's a way to design it to where you don't have to have these massive holes? Or do you like seeing, you know, the players kind of push the envelope with how far you can throw it, how far you can throw it while being accurate? I would like seeing a mix of some tight holes, some accuracy laden holes and some bomber holes. I think it's sure. it's good to have all of it, not just one or not just the other, but a good mix of all left turns, right turns, straight shots, tunnel holes, water clears, water stay short of water, stay right of water, stay left of. I think it's good to have a mix. Sounds like you, you could have a future in course designing as I well. I would love to play a climbo course. Oh that my would gosh. Be awesome. Right. I've designed a few courses, but I've never really had a nice canvas, you know, to just go out and yeah. design a world-class masterpiece. You know, okay, so carte blanche. There's a couple big want. benefactors in disc golf now. So if you're listening was, and you're looking yeah, for a course designer, <laughs> that would be incredible. Um, one story that Yuli talked about before you came on was one of the t- first times he played with you, how you called a violation on him when he put it or when he had a putt or no, no, it was just on the tee. It was off the tee. That's right. Yeah. Something that right now is, is definitely an issue with the professional scene is players are just not calling stuff on other players. Or even when they do that, it doesn't get enforced. Nico called Ricky on a footfall. That was obviously a footfall in Phoenix a couple of years ago. He was three feet behind his disc. It was on camera. Nico called it, and it never got enforced. And now yeah. Nico looks like the bad guy for calling it. I think that's ridiculous, actually. Yeah. I wasn't a big caller of rules, but if I saw something that was blatantly rule-breaking, I would call it. Was that was that a different vibe back there, though, with players? Like, did they when you would call a player out on breaking a rule? Did they immediately turn to you and like you all of a sudden are now in an argument with them, yeah, or was yeah. it more animosity and bad blood? And I think it's ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous that we have to call it on each other. In ball golf, they call it on themselves because they have integrity, and that mm. seems to be what's lacking out there in disc golf is people with integrity. Like, if I broke a rule, I'd be like the first to go. Oh, yes, I broke it. I'll tell you, I broke it. Sign me up, penalize, whatever you got to do. I, I made the mistake. Nowadays, people don't want to own up their mistakes. Oh, man, I didn't do that. No, I was behind my line and all this. No, I, I think it, it comes down to the individual and having integrity. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely certain scenarios, too, where, like, players are just in the woods, right? And your, your card mates aren't in the woods right there with you. And so at that point, we're, you know, I'm just like – I'm hoping your foot is behind your lie. I'm hoping you're not moving trees that you shouldn't be moving. So there is still a lot of that. Same thing with like where, when you're dis, that's a big issue that we have is when like your dit, we don't have, we don't have a spotter on a hole and your disc goes out of bounds. It's just so awkward when a player will be like, well, I think it crossed here. And you're just like, no, like you're, well, you're that's, way, that's why you're you way back. Call. You're way back. I know, but then you, you have, we, we definitely have an issue where players do not want to get in this weird, like you're talking about the animosity and all that. Yeah, You have an issue where like some players will just, they don't want to have to deal with that throughout the round. And so they just won't ever really bring anything up, which I think is hurting the game because it's allowing people to get away with stuff. Yeah, well, was, and uh, some people kind of take advantage of it as well. Sure. Like somebody with, you know, a, a different kind of personality who kind of, you know, pushes the envelope of being like, no, this is where I went out. And then, you know, you'll have other people on the card, exactly like you're saying, just kind of be like, oh, I don't, 
want any of this negative energy and then all of a sudden yeah, that, like, yeah and then all of a sudden they get yeah the that's spot. fine right there that's good yep. yeah, yeah good that good works go. yeah no problem um, i was i was chastised a few years back at the world championships in pittsburgh for calling scott stokely on a couple of field foot faults out in the field and he posted this big thing online about it but what he didn't post was the first two footfalls we called him on were up by this fence on a dog leg right par five. I don't, did you play the 2015 World's Fall? Mm-hmm. Remember that par five at Slippery I Rock? Do. The dog leg right around the fence and went uphill yep. at the big peak? Mm-hmm. That hole. He had thrown OB right off the tee and had to take his meter from the fence. These were the first two OBs that no one ever saw, no one ever talked about online and weren't mentioned by Scott. Anyway, the first one, he missed his mini by six feet. We called him on it because it was six foot away. He was nine feet away from the fence. He's supposed to be three feet away from the fence. He's nine feet away from the fence. The second one, he's eight feet away from the fence with his foot and then throws and puts his foot over behind his mini, moves it like three and a half feet to make it look like it was legal. He threw, then moved his foot behind his mini. Cheating. Cheating. So from that point forward, we were watching him like a hawk the rest of the round. And that's when he got called on the two open field ones that he posted online that didn't look like footfalls on the video. Mm. But he didn't mm. want to post that first one by the fence where it looked like he was cheating where he was cheating. Yeah, let's I, I talk would... about that for a second. <laughs> yeah, no, that's something that I think we have the advantage moving forward a little bit more is having spectators. I think that makes it harder for people that are trying to cheat. And then yeah. also, obviously, the, as videos continue to grow and we get more cameras out there, that's another thing of where if you have a video watching you, maybe you're less likely to to try to pull you know pull something fast. This was in the semifinals. This was in the semifinals at a world championships. There was plenty of people around watching it. Lots of people think, around. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's different now though, just with how social media is. You know, you do sure, something. Yeah. You know, you look at Nico, for example, right? And I'll be the first to tell you, like, I've never really had that many bad interactions with Nico. I think, I think he has done something, some things that have been over the line for sure, but you know, you get one or two clips posted out there and then all of a sudden you have all these people just yeah. Yeah. dogpiling on it. And so nowadays with how social media works, that can happen in a real hurry. Yeah. So, you definitely have to be people but... say they lost respect for me because they kept Scott Stokely out of the finals or whatever. Like you lost respect for me because I play by the rules. Yeah, that, that's it's tough. It's tough to be the bad guy, I guess, in that situation. Mm-hmm. But I just don't more, think you have more respect for the guy that was trying to cheat and moving his foot after he threw. That's the guy you have respect for. We need to have definitely some marshals too in, in certain situations. We we did have some out at the open at Austin, which was nice to where if there is like a call like that on lead card or on chase card, you can bring a marshal in to maybe kind of be the middle person a little bit to kind of calm things down. But a question I did have on you that has popped up many times is 30 seconds. Do you feel that every single shot should be 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, or should it just be more of take your time on really difficult shots Maybe you're scrambling and you don't, you've never been in the woods over here and you're trying to find a line. You might take 45 seconds, but like when you have a 25 foot putt, we should be taking a minute. What's your thoughts on like the time pace of play and all that. I've never really had an issue with the, the 30 second. I never like called. I don't think I've ever called a 30 second rule on anybody or anything like that, but there's in the rules. It states that you have a reasonable amount of time to survey your lie. And then you have 30 seconds to 
approached your lie once that reasonable amount of time is up, and then you have 30 seconds once you mark it. So you actually do have more than a minute if you do it correctly. If you go mm. ahead up there and mark it first, then your 30-second clock has started, and you started that yourself. Gotcha. So use your time before you go up and mark to do those things, and then come and mark it, then you have your 30 seconds. And I think 30 seconds is plenty of time to throw a disc <laughs> once you've marked. Yeah, the only time I would ever think you need more time is is when you are in these weird scramble modes of right. where you're but, you, you're but you can you can walk around and look before you mark your before disc. you mark you know you gotcha. have a reasonable amount of time to survey your area okay i like that um and you know distractions there's also the distraction thing and who's to say what distracted you a bug flew in my ear you know they actually changed that rule this year to where there's no distraction rule like you can't be distracted so oh, so if a car comes flipping off the road into your fairway that's you should just still throw that's what they say <laughs> that's what they say i think again I that's think why there I think... needs to be some bit of a distraction rule for things that are out of your control branch falls yeah. off the tree down across yeah. the t-pad you know i, I might want to yeah. wait that's yeah. why i think that's why i do i just don't like the time limit because by by giving a time limit like that then you have all these weird scenarios of where it's like, yeah, if a baby or a kid runs right in front of you as you're trying to throw, you're going to be like, I'm not going to throw. I just think it should be, you know, let's just keep the pace of play up, right? If you get to a group and there's two holes in between that group and the other group, a marshal or someone should be like, hey, guys, pick it up. Yep. And then they, they just walk a little bit faster. They don't chit-chat and they catch up. Like, I think that's more important than being like, Hey man, you took 35 seconds to putt. Um, I'm going to have to call you on a violation. Going forward from here on that exact subject is you've got a yellow brick road in front of you. The ball golf has already gone through all these trials and tribulations. They've they've been around for 400 years. What they do is they time the player. If there's a gap between groups. Yep. And if you shouldn't get timed until you are slow on the course compared to the other groups. And once that's happened, then, okay, now you're getting timed. Sure. Yeah. And it's already out there. They've already done it. They've already went through all the troubles that we're, we're going through now, the growing pains, all that. They've already done it. Just follow what they've done. They've got it right. So you mentioned that you would love to do some videos in the future with Innova. You're hoping that they reach out. Any interest in doing videos with other YouTube creators potentially in the future? I don't know. I'd have to, uh, I'd have to you know have an offer come my if way the com- if the compensation was. Was, if the compensation was correct you would you would you would be interested in it potentially it, depending on what you know what it all entailed yes okay, you know, okay. Sure. i'll i'll talk to my people i'll talk to my people <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't mind doing the like a one day thing somewhere you know just like a specialty thing that's not a pdj tournament just some kind of one day one round thing i could i could definitely show up for something like that too That'd be oh, sick. I feel, like, I feel the, like there'd the be potential at, uh, for. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Something the skins like match. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could, I could be a part of something like that because I can play one round. No, exactly. I was gonna say. I mean, even like a YouTube channel for yourself. I mean, you would have a lot of people watching that if you would if you found somebody. Let's just say to film, you know, around a week or something, and they post it to your own YouTube channel. Um, that that might be something that a lot of people would want want to watch. Most, yeah, I probably would be. I just, like I said, I'm not tech savvy. I never really got into that end of it. I'm just <laughs> kind of more old school <laughs> Sure. in that regard. Yeah. I'm not much of a social media-ist as it is. Yeah. 
All right, that brings us to our final question. Thank you so much for staying with us as long as you have. This is the fan favorite question whenever we have a guest on. Biggest pet peeves. Now, this can range from anything from what competitors have done, what fans have done, what you have seen with your buddies playing. We're just always, we love talking about things that just, you know, just get under our skin playing disc golf. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'll start with one and then yep. you'll have the floor just to kind of give you, unless Yuli, you have a good one to go. No, with. no, go ahead. I'll start with one. And that is when, uh, cause this literally just happened with uh, two of my buddies. They posted a YouTube video and they're talking about this disc flight characteristics, right? The flight characteristics of this disc make no sense. So it's when someone just like, is trying to hammer home that the flight characteristics of this disc is way different than all these other discs. And then you watch them throw it and you're like, no, that, that disc has just as much glide. Like the, <laughs> that, that disc, it's not like that disc has zero glide. It has just as much glide. Um, I, I, that's a pet peeve of mine is when someone just starts trying to tell, tell me, talk to me the numbers and not actually how the disc flies. Yeah. I'm not, so I'm not too keen on all the number stuff either. I just, you throw the disc, if it does what it does, and you use it for yeah. what it does. Whatever <laughs> yeah. it does, use it for that, you know? <laughs> but I, I, today's game, my biggest pet peeve is cameramen getting in the way of shots. It's pretty Not good so one. much the eagle spike on top of the head. That guy was actually in a good position. Eagle went over the top, and that was just a misfortune. But I'm talking about more like the, the one that happened in Vegas where the guy was standing in the bunker, near the bunker, at the edge of the bunker and in the middle of the fairway and someone's drive was progressing down the fairway, hit him and went into the bunker. Why are the cameramen affecting disc golf shots and scores? Why are they on the green? Why are they getting behind, like straight behind you 180? They should be off to the side. They shouldn't be in your view when you're putting. There's a lot of things I don't like about what the cameramen are doing out there right now. They're affecting play. They're scrambling around and getting 180 degrees behind the player, trying to get the shot coming in. And they should be 90 degrees off to the side or behind the player. I don't, I don't like it. The cameraman, it's more important that the cameraman be there than that's more important than the person throwing the shot. I was supposed to te- uh, tweet Yuli every time a cameraman got hit with a disc. I haven't, I haven't done that, but I'm telling you right now, I, I, I have like four or five tweets. I'm supposed to tweet Yuli. It happened. <laughs> it's happened now. Multiple Did it happen times. again this last weekend? Garrett Gerthy hole two. Wow. Through and it hit the cameraman's uh, tripod or whatever and probably kept him in bounds. Uh, th- trust me, people well, are tweeting go both ways. There's going to be good and bad from it. Yeah. For sure. But people but are I tweeting should, me now every be, time it happens. Be away from <laughs> I'm supposed to be tweeting you. People are tweeting me being like, Brody, you need to tweet Yuli because another cameraman just got hit. And I'm just like, <laughs> it's going to happen every tournament. It's going to happen every time. Yeah, if you got them that close to the action, it's going to happen. You got to keep them a little farther away from the action or behind the action. Check. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, anything else stand out to you as uh, pet peeves? Pet peeves. Like, um, like for example, one of the one of my pet peeves, Kenny, is like uh, when you put up a nice putt from like sixty feet, but you miss. You know, you miss it a bit right, and then people are like, "Nice putt," and I'm like, "I missed." You know, that's like a nice little like playing pet peeve. You got anything like that? Yeah, not so much. I mean, sometimes you, you can have a nice bid and it doesn't go in. You know, good efforts don't always go in. Or what about when somebody nices your shot? Yeah, mm. you know, that's that's never been a pet peeve of mine. Right. 
But I, I hear what you're saying there. Like, say nice halfway through the flight, and wham, it hits the invisible limb. <laughs> Thanks, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's just funny, coincidental stuff because they're actually being For genuine, sure. saying, you know, oh, absolutely, nice absolutely, yeah. If there's no genuineness there, you know, then I might have an issue with it. But usually, people yeah. are pretty genuine when they say nice. Mm-hmm. Any idea who started the discharger? Uh, no, that's beyond me. I. <laughs> <laughs> Still don't understand it at all. <laughs> That's one thing that I, was, I, 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 I said I liked a lot. I don't know if I actually do or not, but it definitely got the people going when I said I liked the discharge. <laughs> I'm indifferent to it. <laughs> I said no I was comment. anti. Yeah, I said I was anti vandalism when like people put stickers and stuff like that over the basket or like I'm sign the basket. But then I was like, I'm all about dischargers. And people are like, what? But that's um, also vandalism. No, I know. That's why I was, I was, I was contradicting myself when I said that. Right. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, writing you, your name, writing your name on the basket because you aced it. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's right. Or people sitting in the basket after they aced it for like a picture and then it's like bent. It's like, all right. Man, you if you're not hurting it, I don't think there's any problem with that. I think it should be a weight limit. You know, yeah, weight, yeah. Limit to, <laughs> weight limit to everything. <laughs> you're not leaving a mark and you're not bending anything. It's okay, I think. Yeah. You, you got anything else? Yeah, my uh, question I ask all our guests, who are disc golfers? And this one, I guess, I guess we'll do a throwback because you're not playing in the competition nowadays. But back in the day, let's say span from 2000 to let's say 2009 when you were playing a bunch, what person would you look at their game and be like, all right, that's nice. Like he had, I love that dude's game. Um, I mean, Barry Schultz is definitely one name that comes to mind. Yeah. From the, that time frame. Ron Russell, he had a very strong game. It's uh threw it straight and accurate and putted the lights out of it. You know, when you're playing disc golf, most a lot of people can throw the shots, you know, progress down the fairway. It's, it's, it's the putting that really wins you the championships most of the time. Yeah. Being able to knock them down when you need to knock them down. And that to me is, is the, is the pressure, the pressure stuff. Obviously right. there's some pressure drives and, you know, tight holes and stuff like that. You got to kind of same thing. You got to have that good pressure head to make those shots. And, and that's kind of what I in, enjoy about other players' abilities, you know, watching watching yeah. them be able to do that kind of stuff. And Barry and Ron in that time period were were tops, you know, and Feldberg, I'd say, was was creeping in there too in that time period. Love that. Steve Rico's always been a good player in that regard too. And he's been there a little bit longer than those guys, you know, in, in the in the grand scheme of things. I've gotten slapped up once or twice by Rico. well we appreciate your time thank you so much for uh for doing this this was awesome i i I know everyone listening at home definitely appreciates not just you coming on this podcast but everything that you have done for disc golf and uh i i'm very excited to see kind of the future of what you're going to do with the commentary this year at uscdc i I can't wait to hear that and uh anything else moving forward I'm, i'm looking forward to it Excellent. Yeah. It was uh, nice meeting you in a online situation. I get to meet you face to face at the USDC this year. If you're going to be there, if I qualify, if I qualify, I, I missed a 20 footer, Kenny, on hole 17. Uh, I had a 20 footer on hole 17 last week. 
It should get a little easier to qualify as the year goes yeah, on. Yeah, you would so think. Yeah, you would think. get in there. Yeah, we'll see. But yeah, <laughs> hope, hopefully I get to talk to you in person. And uh, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, Maybe thanks, we can play a practice round together. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. <laughs> I'll definitely bring my discs. I might there not play go. in the tournament, but <laughs> we'll see, though. I've been, I've been feeling better. Like I said, I played the round the other day at the, the Canyon course in Brooksville, and I didn't hurt that much the next day. Icy Hot is, it does incredible things as well. No Icy Hot involved. All right. Just, I'll tell you what, if Kenny, if Kenny played the first round of the USDGC, the crowd would be massive. massive. Oh my it would gosh. be massive. Yeah, it'd be incredible. Be awesome. I could definitely play the first round. That's something I could do. <laughs> but if they want me to be commentating, it would have to be an earlier round for sure. Oh, true. But I might, I might just try and do that. I did that in 2019. I played the first round, except I didn't put out on the last hole because I didn't want them to stick me in the in the groups because I knew I wasn't playing the whole thing because my body was just wasn't there. But this yeah, year, but what happens better. when you shoot a ten under? Yeah, first round, great. <laughs> then all of a sudden, your lead card. Pump myself full of anti-inflammatories and try and go out the next day. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> all right, so I guess everyone stay tuned for USDGC. It's going to be electric. It's going to be incredible. <laughs> it is the twenty-fifth anniversary this year, so it's there's a big definitely one. something special going on there, and I want to be a part of that. That's awesome. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks again, yes. and have a wonderful night. Thank you so much. Thanks. Nice meeting you, Yuli. Yeah. We'll see you soon. <laughs> yes, sir. Good right. chatting, buddy. Yeah, man. All right. There you guys have the champ, the 12th time. My goodness. Wow. That was awesome. That was sick. Got him for way longer than I was expecting, which is also incredible. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was very, it's just so interesting too to kind of hear someone that has that career in a sport be able to, you know, tell you kind of, I don't know. I thought the coolest thing too was, is the fact of like, he was just, he jumped straight into coverage and was like yeah. breaking down coverage. Yeah, I just thought was, that was, I thought that was awesome. Yeah. That was my favorite part is, is how in the know he is about, about everything. Like, you know, we could probably bring up whatever modern day things that are going on and, and he's, he's still in it. So you can see the passion there, which is, yep. which is awesome. But I All do right. think, I oh, do yep, think, yep we're missing out. Like he has a lot of opportunity out there and I just hope somehow maybe the right person can reach out and kind of give him that nudge. Cause it sounds like maybe one of the things kind of holding him back, like he said, was he's not too tech savvy, you know, with this, or the other mm -hmm. thing. And if he could get that, we might be able to see Ken climb in front of the camera a bit more, which, um, disc golf is a better place when that when that happens yeah no i think the ability the 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 opportunity i guess as a viewer to potentially get more coverage of him i think would be incredible because right. i think i think he has a you know the mind that he has is is something that i think a lot of people would love to tap in on and and, and learn more about all right we got a few more things to talk about yuli if you got the time we got some stuff that went down this past week texas state championship recap Calvin Heinberg is officially, in my mind, the number one player in the world. Now, UDISC world rankings say otherwise. Which, I'm, I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about that right away, but what, what no, are your let's thoughts? talk you about. Do you, no, do you have I him mean, as your number one? Yeah, how can you not? I mean, the, the guy is 
just on another level, like he's if he plays like that, which it, there's no sign that he's not going to play like that. Like he's just going to podium every single time. He's just going to podium every single time because it seems like even when he has a slow start, which we saw at Vegas, yep, he just catches right up and bam, right there. He was even contention coming down the stretch in Vegas, and he was, you know, teeing off way, way late or early um, the second day of, of competition. So just to see that. And then, you know, not the best field this last week because of the Silver Series, but, I mean, he just mowed down the field. <laughs> like, like watching coverage, it just looked like, okay, there's the field, there's Calvin Heimberg, mm-hmm. and it's not even close. There were there were a few people that weren't there, but he he just had some incredible rounds to where, you know, I don't want to discredit this win at all, right? Because I think some people would easily be like, oh, well, you know, Ricky wasn't there, Paul wasn't there, Eagle wasn't there, Simon wasn't playing. And yes, those are all very good players. But I I, I feel at this point in time, when Calvin is on, in this tournament he was on, I mean, I, I don't know if he'll be touched. When he's playing when he's playing this well, I do not know if he'll be touched. Uh we have we have some videos. I don't know if you've seen these. This was his basketball putt that he made. We've all seen him do this in, you know, the skins matches and whatnot. You you can see him here. And he just I mean this I mean <laughs> I mean come I heard this. I want to say I was like maybe five holes ahead of him at this time or something. The crowd, when this putt went in, the crowd, the crowd in Houston was incredible, by the way. There was a crap ton of people out there. The roars too. I don't know if it was because we were, we were on this site where like it was kind of trees were bordering the outside and we were kind of in this bowl, but you, there was legitimate roars going going on throughout the tor- tournament, which was absolutely awesome. To I mean, I wasn't a part of any of the roars, but I got to hear them, and it was awesome. Uh, we also have this other putt. Have you seen this one, Yuli? He throws this thing into a stump. We're back with he's he's pretty sure he's like eighty five feet away. If that was, I was the next hole, wasn't it? No, 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 no. This is this is hole number seven, I believe. Okay, so I watched when, on the live coverage. He hits the basketball he had a lot. putt, he had and a then lot. the next hole he hit a sixty footer. This putt is ridiculous. This is okay. this is a layup for us. Well, maybe you, you probably are running this. I'm probably throwing a scuba, but I mean the distance. Okay. Uh, and then when he starts running like this too, no, I don't know, like when he he gets that little gallop he does going, yeah. that that's when he's the scariest i feel like because we see a lot of times where he's just kind of emotionless i guess would be the word or or when he he gets a little bit quicker even off the tee like he'll go back to his bag and the way that he moves is different than normal you and you're just like oh, oh calvin's boy. feeling it <laughs> oh boy <laughs> um we can pull up the top 10 here for this tournament and I'm not, you know, I'm not pulling up the top 10 because I got top 10. Nice but, job, by the way. Nice job. It was it was a battle. Uh, you know, shout out again to my caddy for for not, you know, for showing up all three days because I was I was out of control. Not no really surprising names here. I mean, all the no. people up here are 
you know, you got Calvin and AB had the hot round shooting 13 under, didn't miss a single putt the entire round inside of 66 feet. This course also, besides a few holes, this course allowed for really aggressive putting. So you just saw people, James Proctor, another name of where like he was just putting lights out. Alden Harris, I think shot 12 under the final day to move up a, a bunch of spots into yeah. the top, top five. And then you've got Ezra too, who has, Ezra's had a sneaky good season as well. And I'm not yeah. just saying that because I'm friends with him. If you look at his season, he's had a sneaky, very good season as well. You got Kyle Klein, Chris Clemens, Aaron Gossage, and then Nicholas Antilla, who also big time player as well. I mean, it was, it, it was a good tournament, but Calvin ran away from it. You know, I don't, I don't think anyone thought he was going to win going into that final day. He was just playing so dang good all tournament. Yeah. You know, the, the most surprise, not the most surprising, but I feel like the biggest story on that leaderboard besides Calvin running away is Proctor top podium. He gets on the podium, all three Texas tournaments. Are you surprised? Right? Are you are you shocked that that happened, or what's your? No, I'm, I'm just surprised that it's not more of a story because mm. that's this is his first real, I feel like, real season where he's going to play almost all the tournaments. And if that's the case, listen, I've known James Proctor has been nasty for a long, long time. Nasty, nasty. He was he was my guy when I was talking about how. Just wait. Once money starts getting up and you have people like James Proctor saying, you know what, I'm going to tour <laughs> yeah. full time. I was like, just wait. These fields are going to get nasty. Right. He's so good. He's, He's very uh, good. He, I mean, he whooped me and Ezra's butt in the doubles battle. It was, it was impressive. But these are guys that I think, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any name on here besides mine that you're like, oh my gosh, wow, they're in the top 10. So it was a tournament. It was a very interesting course to where it definitely bode for players that had low ceiling games. Like if you yeah. aren't comfortable throwing low ceiling shots, you weren't going to probably play that well. And then people that putted, which we say every tournament, people that putted really well also kind of jumped up the leaderboard. Moving over to FPO, one of the few tournaments where the FPO course was completely different. And this is right. what I think needs to happen in the future more because you end up getting very exciting tournaments. You get, end up seeing very exciting shots and you see players like Asayananda getting a chance to actually win versus yeah. going to some of these courses where, you know, let's just be real. The people that can throw far have just a massive, massive sure. advantage. And I don't know. I thought this was watching her play this tournament. I got to see a decent amount of coverage she was putting out Unbel of control. Unbelievable. Uh, out of control. <laughs> and then... I thought like, it was to the point where, you know, because I watched a decent amount of it too, but I thought it was to the point where I'm not sure she always puts that good because she makes like her last putt for the win. It goes in center. And it was almost... I think she might have just been overjoyed because she won the tournament, but it was like every putt... She looks so excited. She's so you know, happy. So happy that she made it. And I don't know. I I hope that it's just because she's having the best time ever playing disc golf in it. And it's just, you know, going her way. But the way that she was reacting, I felt like I made another one. <laughs> like, this is crazy. You know? 
She has bounced up some of the leaderboards. Oh, I, for I, sure. I, I definitely have seen some. There was a stat with some majors that she's had where she's had like a couple, like three she, or four top tens in some yeah, of she the took last fifth, majors. I think at the um, their United States Disc Golf Championship last year, mm. I believe she took fifth. I just think this is this has to be like important to the disc golf pro tour moving forward is like getting the FPO field on their own course. Yeah, no, I, I can to- totally agree with that. It just, I think it just makes it for such a more, more interesting tournament. Um, did you see this stat? There's been six unique winners this year from six tournaments this year. There's six tournaments in FBO, six unique winners. That's no one's amazing. won twice. No um, way. I didn't, which, I didn't know that. Going into the season, how much money would you have won if you bet that? Oh right? <laughs> We'd be rich. With just how, how, how the tournaments went last year. Um, and then there have only been two players that have ever beat Kristen Tatar in a silver event. One, Sayananda. Do you know the other one? This might be because Kristen has hasn't played in that many silver events. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Maybe even one of the Mondahanos. Uh, it's Katrina Allen. So okay. those two are the only two that have only be- beat, and that's to, thanks to Stat Mando. Um, and we have another Stat Mando one coming okay. up. Of where should we be concerned at all with Kristen Tatar? And this is this is a stat that I thought was. Uh, you know, kind of interesting. So when she goes into a final round and she's ahead uh, and she is uh, two strokes or fewer, right? She's trailing two strokes or fewer. She's won two of the eight times. When she's three strokes or fewer trailing, she's won zero 15. Is she, is she a little bit of a front runner in the sense of like (laughs) a little bit? It sounds like that's exactly what she is, is a front runner. When she's feeling it, you're not going to beat her. But if she like, does she have, what is this? Is this showing us anything or, well, am I I looking into it a little too much? No, I totally get that type of thing. Now I am not in comparison to ever been as good as Kristen star. Let's just get that out there. But out of my, somebody told me this, out of my over 100 wins, I've never come back from a, a like a four-stroke deficit, but like three times ever. And 80 of the tournaments I was leading. So I've, I am not, I do not like coming back from. You like staying up at, at yeah, the top. Yeah, if I'm playing well and I'm in the lead, most of the time I'm going to win the tournament. Hmm. And so I I totally get that stat. Now, she's just too good. <laughs> We're talking about me. It's, Kristen is just too good for that stat to hold up. Something is different though. You you, you can't you can't watch her play and not not address that something is different than last year. I don't know what it is. You know, obviously you can look at the stats and say like, well, she's throwing OB more. She's not putting as much. I'm just talking about just the way. She looks while playing. She it, it it looks different, and I don't know I don't know what it is. Well, I know she's been dealing with some injuries, so for sure. With that being said, that that's that one that'll, I mean, an injury is an injury. That's going to hurt your disc golf game. Um, 
but I mean, right now, let's give a little credit to the FPO field as well. I mean, for sure, they're getting good. Six for different sure. winners. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with just the, the courses that we are playing, right? Like, I think the courses are getting better and better at producing a more competitive field than you know favoring a, a select handful of players. Um, but yeah, I guess I mean I guess we'll we'll kind of keep. I, I just and, and maybe it is her injuries. Maybe it is uh, she didn't really make that big of a fuss about it. I guess coming into the season, yeah. And so maybe she downplayed it more. Maybe it is something that is causing issues that she's just not addressing to the media and whatnot. But you know, I I, I do think with how good of a season she had last year the pressure that she must be feeling going into this season. Um, Cause we saw, we saw, I don't know if you watched the final round. We saw some frustration that I've never seen out of her really I that think, often. I think we can make our first assumption with something like that after the major, because I, okay. I, with that, with that caliber of player at some point, like their seasons are going, she is now in the realm of how many majors did she win? Mm-hmm. And that's how they they're because she's gonna get wins. She's going to get another elite series this year. She's that good. Like I mean, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, yep, every sure. single time. How many majors does she get? And then after Champions Cup, we'll we'll have a good idea probably if maybe she wins by ten, and then we're gonna have a completely different conversation. Yeah, well, I just have to also give a huge props to Sayananda too because yeah. we have seen this year where people have been in her position before and weren't able to hold off the people chasing and she just didn't blink that oh, final so round, cool to watch that final round she had a couple holes where you could tell like ooh, that putt was a little nervy mm-hmm. but the majority of that round she did not blink and coming into the final hole 17 hole 18 are not easy tee shots she played hole 17 very smart and then was able to you know get her tee shot dry on hole 18 which is all she needed to do and so, like, big shout-outs to her, and I'm I'm definitely interested to kind of see what she can do now when you... Because sometimes these players, all they need is one win. They get yeah. that one win under their belt, and they're like, holy crap, I can do this? So I'm very interested to kind of see what she does these, these next couple of events. And I don't know her schedule. I don't know if she's planning on playing a bunch, but I hope to. I think she's a great addition to the field. And also, like you were saying, she was just fun to watch. Yeah. Like, she, like... I don't know when her, she was making those putts and stuff. It was very fun. Speaking yeah. of someone that was fun to watch own Scoggins. Did you see this ace? Yes. I mean, this was, this is, I believe hole two. Here's own Scoggins. And I don't know what's better. The actual shot or her reaction. <laughs> the reaction. She, she is like, cause you know, she starts celebrating. She does the hugs with everyone, right? Cat merch is there. Everyone's freaking out. Yeah. And then she's like, all right, I'm going to, uh, wait, someone still has to throw. Wait, can I go run again? I'm going to run again. <laughs> like someone still has to throw on the tee. Yeah, she and she's bolts. like, nope, I'm just going with her arms out airplane style. Um, she is really, really fun to watch. Not just her game. Like her game is really cool to watch with how she throws those super high overstable flex forehands and mm-hmm. stuff. And her putting is ridiculous. Like, I don't know how a putt that wobbly is that accurate. I literally, it, it blows my mind, but she just makes everything. And then uh, just her personality too. It's, it's, she's a lot of fun to watch and she's been yes. having a heck of a, 
heck of a last couple seasons. You know, yes. jumping onto it. Uh, another video here, Gannon Burr. Um, this was <laughs> this was a, a backup we had on hole eight, and um, there's a playground that is just right <laughs> next to the backup, and he's like doing some American Ninja Warrior through the playground. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. And it's like it, you know, if some if some people did this you'd be like all right they're hamming it up for the cameras they know someone's watching but he's actually having a good time he he would be doing this if no one was out there yeah you know you 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 forget how young of a kid he is and like this just shows that you know he's just he's just having a good time yeah he's just out there having a good time um so i I just thought that was funny also watching his like lanky ginormous body go through a <laughs> little kid's like playground is is very funny um okay update to champions cup update to champions cup there will be a monday qualifier i think yes. they were already planning on having a monday qualifier before the whole fiasco of some players not you know signing up and some players signing yeah. up there will be eight people on the mpo side advancing to the actual tournament and there'll be four people on the FPO side advancing to the actual tournament. Did we talk much? I can't remember if we talked much last week about who's at fault here. Did we, did yeah, we do we did. that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. We mm-hmm. already mentioned that. Um, Speaking of I, which, did you yep. sign up for the world championships? Yeah. You know why I did? Good. Well, I set a reminder, but also it's not, it's not surprising to for me to see that the PDJ made, 45 posts about signups. <laughs> right. I got emails from all kinds of people. I don't think Champions Cup had anything. I really don't. And again, I don't think, I think it's the player's fault. You should know what to do. Sure. But I th- thought it was funny where I, I didn't get anything for Champions Cup. I don't even remember how I signed up. But <laughs> yeah. PDG getting flooded. I was getting like calls at the middle of the night being like, Hey, just want to let you know that your registration opens tomorrow. I was like, you know, I was just getting from all angles. So I think they took the hint of like, all right, we got to make sure that, you know, yeah, these people are are signing up for it. Uh, size pull up real quick. The article. Did you hear about some of the changes to the course? I'm I'm only going to go really through the MPO side. Um, this is the new basket for whole 18 right here. Yes, so, I've, heard, I've heard of these for, changes. Yep. Okay, so for people don't know, hole eighteen used to play as a par five, and the t- the basket was like tucked back into the woods, really bad for spectators. Now they're moving it out into the field, mm-hmm. and they're going to have what I would say is like grandstands and stuff around it, yes. which I think is a great change. It's going to be a par four instead of a par five. But I think this is a phenomenal change. I don't know how it necessarily is going to change the hole up. I'm assuming the gap that I kind of can visualize in my head on hole 18, I'm assuming that's where it's going to be. So where it's like, if you're left or right on the fairway, you're going to have a really hard time getting your disc out into the field. Yep. But I think just as a spectator goes, and also video wise, this is huge, right? For a major, you got to have that. And then the other big change, if you go down a little bit, Silas is hole 14. There's the basket. Um, hole 14, if you remember, I think it's right there. Perfect. Hole 14, where I think hole 18's basket is, is probably close to where hole 14's tee shot was. And hole 14's tee shot was very scary because hole one 
was like literally a shank off to the left yeah. or a bad kick off to the left. And it caused a lot of backups right away because you would have people waiting on hole one to throw or you'd have people on 14 waiting for hole one to throw. Now they're putting us more into the woods. Brand new T-pad. And I think that's not going to really change the hole up that much. But as far as pace of play goes, this is a great change. Yeah. So two changes. I think the FPO side, I think there might have been a few changes here and there. But these were the major ones that we're going to see moving forward. I think this is great. Can't wait to play WR Jackson. Always one of my favorite courses to play. All right. I want to finish up with a new segment. I think this is how we should finish every, every podcast. Okay. And I think in the future, I think we both should try to find one of these. Obviously it might not end up working this way, but the new segment is called first available. Okay. And this is going to be the biggest fail in disc golf every week and this week the biggest fail that i found was this disc golfer magazine and what they did to these players faces and images i don't know (laughs) silas if you can make some of these bigger than that i don't know if you can enlarge some of these i it, it seems like someone found a filter and was like you know what (laughs) <laughs> this is sick. Let's just, just do it on everyone. Picture. Let's just make everyone look like crayon claymations or something. <laughs> I, I, I do not know what I'm looking at here, but some of these photos are just, I, I mean, just uh, brutal. So this, uh, the disc golfer magazine wins. of the week. <laughs> I mean, look at this. Look at Jen <laughs> Allen. What is this? What is that? How is that uh, even possible? Ya- that you- Jakob's, Jakob's really bad. The next How do you one. put that in a magazine? I don't know. Can you go to the next one, Silas? It was, it was, it was, we're kind of doing this on the fly a little bit. Sorry, Silas. I didn't, I didn't prep you on wanting to see each one of these. But uh, I mean, that, that doesn't look like a person. <laughs> that looks like a paper boy from like a Super Mario game or something. I, I don't. <laughs> It's like it's like someone made paper mache and then took took a photo of it and put it in a magazine. I, it's I don't like know what's going on It's like video games from like 1992. It's, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> so there there you have it. That is the first available of the week. Shout out to Disc Golfer Magazine. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't I don't know what we're doing, man. I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. Um, but there you have it, man. What an episode. That was that was that was incredible. Yuli, shout out to you for for pulling that. Was that was intense. That was for intense. making that happen. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if uh, that that's going to be hard to top. I know we had some good ones these past couple of weeks, and people are like, "Oh, you're not going to be a top." You know this. what was crazy about? I just want to say one thing that I thought was absolutely fascinating about that interview was when we were talking about how like he shows up and people people would crumble and he's like i don't know what that is like he's so oblivious to like he really does just play the course and you can tell with his his no one got intimidated by him i'm like are you kidding me and it's like you know what i mean like that was that was crazy to me that and and you you nailed the, the 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 nail on the head nailed the nail on the head i don't even know if that's right that might be it's not right that might be wrong but when you hit were the like, nail you, on the head, you hit the nail on the head, nailed the head. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head when you were like, if you showed up right now to a, an event, 
people would be intimidated by you. Like people yes. would get extra nervous. And I, I hundred percent agree. Like yeah. he is this, he is this mythical creature. He is right. Yeah. He is. And you know, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. I, I was very excited to hear how involved he still is in the sense of like yeah. watching this golf. And you because, can tell he's eager to get back out there and be oh, seen. You can tell. Oh, he was very quick to let us know how he shot at, at throwdown. Yeah. Very quick. And I, I, someone watching his playing style, he doesn't need to, he doesn't need to like muscle the disc, right? He doesn't need to oh, like no. try to overpower courses and of course, like you, uh, Winthrop at USCDC, there's not many holes out there where you need to have 500 feet distance off the, the guy, tee. The guy would shoot better than three under two day, guaranteed. Yes. And that would be one heck of a story. So I'm, I'm hoping you know he can kind of get something figured out when it comes to his health, because I think that would be yeah. awesome to see him come back out there and play some. But if it doesn't work out, I hope he does. Uh, get more involved. Like he said, and th- that was the thing I liked. I liked that. He was saying like, he wants to be, he yeah. wants to, to w- wants to be in videos and do stuff as well. I will say though, the man needs to get compensated though. That, I mean, yes. listening to that, no, that, it, was, it made that me was sad. sad. It made that me was... sad. Because I, that was, <sighs> that was kind of disc golf. Even when I got into it in 2020, there was still this like, handshake stuff and like hey i scratch your back you scratch my back and you're like Mm -hmm. yeah but i scratched your back for 10 minutes and you scratch mine for five seconds (laughs) like this is not a fair trade Uh, that has seemed to kind of subside a little bit and gone away Mm -hmm. like players are getting you know um i'm not i'm surprised that nobody's like gone at gone to him with projects and been like hey i'm going to pay you a lot of money to do this man like it got my wills turning you know what i mean like oh my gosh i'll pay you like a lot of money to do whatever (laughs) you know like even commentary i mean i think yes i think you know i I talk about sexton a lot about being one of the best and i talk about philo as well but having someone that has his pedigree his experience you it just it just doesn't exist and his voice he has a good commentator's voice right so all right Folks, thanks so much for tuning in. That was a long one. We knew I didn't know how long it was going to be. If you guys are watching this on uh, the oh, podcast I platforms, I knew it was going to be long. I, I mean, you'll never get me upset about having a long podcast. I love, I love <laughs> talking disc golf. So, but we appreciate everyone watching. We appreciate all the new channel members this this uh, episode. We appreciate all the likes, subscribes, all that stuff. Thanks so much to everything. And right now, too, Discraft is having a big sale on all of yes. our. Discraft, um, whatchamacallits, pages, player pages. Yeah. 18% websites. off. 18% off. That's pretty That's pretty freaking good. So check that out. Teamdiscraft.com, I believe, is the site that will get you to there. And uh, I think that's all we got, Yuli. That was a good show, man. I'm looking forward to next week. Nashville, baby? Nash Nashville, Vegas? baby. I'm Nash there. Vegas, baby. All right, Let's we'll see it. you guys in the next one. Later.